Hail, mighty listeners. Welcome to episode 57. In a minute, you'll wonder why we didn't know that by the time we got to the hobby desk. But there you go. <laughs> Trick of recording. So, tonight we go onto the hobby desk. We've got lots to talk about on the hobby desk. We've both been quite prolific, I've got quite a bit done. Um, then we go into the galaxy of war. And we talk about ninth edition. Are we happy? Are we sad? Do we know yet? Are we just going to get madly excited as soon as we get miniatures in our hands? Probably. Probably. <laughs> um, into the mortal realms, and we talk about glorious success on the battlefield. Uh, but it's not mine. Um, <laughs> as well as uh, having a look at what's coming out um, for the mortal realms or what's been out recently. Uh, into the community where we talk about you guys and the awesome stuff you've been doing uh, and then into the wilds where Ben's got a list I do though. sometimes we don't even know what to talk about but this time we have a list guys yeah. I haven't actually said good evening to Ben but that's because we're recording this at the end so that I know what I'm talking about yeah because so many times you've recorded the intro at the start and then done nothing that we said. Nothing. <laughs> ben, good evening to you. Good evening, buddy. Guys, grab some refreshments. Here is episode 57. Hi guys and welcome to episode 50. <coughs> oh, neither of us know. I can't remember. <laughs> neither of us. Anyway, know. you're not welcoming people. We'd have done the intro by now. I know, but I always re-intro because just in case you missed like something. Oh, actually, people can't understand me because I'm too loony. Yeah, well, apologies for the um the, the month extra, but um I was on holiday. Um, and life gets in the way, etc., etc. But um, back to our normal schedule. You've been crafting yourself into an uh, an Adonis. That's why, haven't you? I, I don't know what that word means. Dan. Like a like a like like Atlas. Oh, like I, a I sculpted yeah. man of iron. If iron is squishy, there's <laughs> more like a pudding. Then yeah, perhaps a pudding. Um, uh, episode fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. Brilliant. Welcome to episode fifty-seven, and it's our hobby desk, and um, we've got a fair bit to talk about, really, um, between us. Although mine is the same project, <laughs> it's just taking forever. Do you want to go first so I don't bore people with the? What have I done? Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, I having flush from my exciting quest to paint all of my corn. I don't think um, you quite finished that when we last spoke. I thought I had. 
but I have now. You have now, yeah. So, <laughs> brief recap then. Last time on the two Ps, Dan has finished painting all his corn. <laughs> so I finished painting a couple of Hell Drakes and Terminators and other stuff on mass. Um, loads and loads of bits and pieces. Um, You'd be able to see photographs on our Instagram, but unfortunately, Dan doesn't know how to work a camera. I do. I just I I really struggle taking photos. Like I I'm all right with. Like I was been doing the Warcry terrain, which I'll come on to in a minute, because I've just been doing like little work in progress shots. I've been sharing quite a few. Yeah. But um, I just seem to struggle with the when it's done. I I don't. It's a shame, really. I can't just. What I need to do next to me is just set up a light box that's yeah. just permanently there. Yeah, I I really want to do that because I can't often can't be bothered to get mine in and out. It, it, yeah. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a euphemism you filthy git I know <laughs> and I'm, I'm resisting the urge to uh, insinuate that it is one but you did it anyway um, it so preemptive strike <laughs> move, moving on from the corn um, I have painted the Warcry starter set terrain um, and I had such a good time doing it man I absolutely love doing it um, it's I've just tried to add a few little extra touches to bring it up. One thing that's been brilliant though is is having the contrast paints. Yeah. So I I zenithed it with rattle cans, so Chaos Black, Mechanica Standard Grey, and Grey Seer. And then I went back with Basilicanum Grey through the airbrush, and I was able to like spray that over, but then focus it in certain areas as well, in the darker areas. Um then I went through, uh, th- then, and this was cool, I, because I've obviously rearranged all my paints, I was able to look for the sorts of colours I wanted. So I, I ended up with Can, can you just share, white. share with the podcast the rearranging of your paints, Dan? So this has been an ongoing Actually, thing. Yeah, because we, we haven't spoken about this, have no, we? No, we haven't, have we? So there no. has been a battle of the ages, you know, <laughs> not, not unlike Sauron versus the free peoples um, <laughs> levels of battle between Ben and I as to the best way to arrange your paint. So I was insistent, insistent that alphabetical order was the was way the to go. Was the only way. Was the only, and way. every other way makes no sense. Ben was insistent that you should organise by colour. Um, and then within that, I believe, into a sort of by shades of that colour. Yep. Now... I have capitulated. <laughs> I have capitulated. Well, what happened was, <laughs> I have always painted by guides. And because I paint by guides, I'm looking for a paint colour, not like the name, sorry, of a colour, not the colour. So it makes sense to go alphabetical. However, now... I have decided I want to branch out a little bit and actually it's really, really good having them like this because you can pick <laughs> up a bunch of colours and sort of hone in on the ones you want and the ones that fit with what you're trying to achieve. So yes, Ben was correct in this case. Yep. Episode <sighs> episode fifty seven. 
And I think that's enough of episode 57 (laughs) now. See you next time. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I did... Oh, my goodness. I know what I haven't spoken about. Anyone, anyone that wants to dry brush something, go to Amazon, put in that you want some makeup brushes, right? (laughs) $7.99, mate. I know, a whole pack of them of all sizes it's not like i haven't told you this as well i know i know that i know that but you know in fact people are waiting for that kind of recognition that it's a good idea from me aren't they so uh-huh, yeah that's right put yeah. it out there so they oh my goodness it's just so good so, yeah, it's it's so good using the dry brushes from that uh we call it right over it um and and then going in with um something else oh do you know actually i think i did the dry brush first then did the basilicana gray and then i went in with a thonian camo shade which is not as another thing that somebody has apparently told me is a good color over and over again uh, and washed it into all the recesses which took a little while but was very much worth it um and then you just need those extra colors on stone if you go for just grey, I don't think it ever works. No, Whereas if no. you add something else in, it just it just makes a difference. Yeah. And then, like, the black wood is just black templar over that original base coat. And then wild wood for the, for the wood bits, wood. really good. And I, I highlighted both of those with a very light dry brush of Pallid Witch Flesh. Oh, right, yeah, okay. Yeah. Which, again... What, before... Before you wash them or afterwards? Uh, afterwards. Yeah. Really okay. light. I really like that. Um, that and, and again, that was where having all the colours, because what I wanted was a more natural tone, a less I use... than, than like bleach bone, because not bleach yeah. bone, screaming skull or something, which is is quite hard, I suppose. I I, I like Pallid Wish Fest a lot. Yeah. Um, oh, there's plenty of options like... Off off whites, I think a a a must have in a paint collection. Yeah, I think whether it's like the off whites from Vallejo, they do a number of different off whites, or the off whites from like Pallid Witch Flesh. From I think my standout thing I'm really chuffed with is the head. Yeah. So I'll get. I will. I will get some pictures of the head. Um, I did put some up actually, but I'll, I'll get a picture of the finished so head. So by the by the head, he means the the bronze statue head. Yeah, that's in tray. I've actually taken a picture of it now. <laughs> I know I can hear. <laughs> so I can put that up. But basically, the reason I'm so happy with this is, again, I was just trying some stuff out. So I got the new Rune Lord brass base color and painted it on and it's really good it's just a country mile away from the so um that was pretty much one coat maybe maybe two let's say two just to be sure but but um it was pretty much one coat once i'd done that let it dry i put some ethonian camo shade on and i'm i'm not sure whether that added anything but I wanted to see what it would do, so it, but it, I suppose it dulled it a little bit. And then I got um, AK Interactive's Decay Deposits, yeah, and I just slapped it all over it. 
Yeah. Now that is a like an enamel-based paint. MIG do similar things as well. And um, so then I went back with some isopropanol or, or was it Sansador thinners? It might have been Sansador thinners actually. It was Sansador thinners, and um, which basically is like having white spirit, yeah. but it's odorless. So it's a bit, you know, it's nice to work with. And I just could put that on a cloth, literally on a piece of um, kitchen roll and just started rubbing it off on all the high points. And then when I'd done that, I got um, a Q-tip or cotton bud, whichever way you want to refer to it, and did a few more sort of like, oh, yeah, I'll just pick out that high ridge and that ridge. And I did that on the bell as well. Yeah. And that was it. And it was just, the, I was just like, oh, you know, there's like epiphany moments where you're like, painting doesn't have to be an arse. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah. And then um, I did a similar thing for all the rust, which is okay. It's maybe a little bit darker than, I, I probably could have gone back in with some lighter rust, but I used um dark rust deposits. Again, from AK and again, MIG sell it. Sort of same sort of thing. Um, over lead belcher, and then, well, actually, no, that's not true. I use something else that somebody keeps talking to me about. I did lead belcher. Not typhus corona. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did lead belcher, and then I did typhus corrosion. All over. Now I'm not sure I needed the lead voucher in honesty because I covered it up completely. But I put so I put the toughest corrosion all over it, and then I put this this rust stuff all over them. And then again, I was able to sort of rub some of that off in certain areas to make it a bit more patchy. And then just a very light dry brush of um, Stormhost silver, that sort of very bright silver, and that was it. Yeah. And sorry to keep going on, it was a long project. Fun though, I based all of it on very thin, sort of 0.5 of a mil plaster card. Yeah, it's worth, yeah. So you didn't do much of a base there, did you? So no. it's only maybe like five mil, half a centimeter either side. Yeah, if that, if that in some cases. All it was, is it I wanted to blend it to the same sort of style as my army, my corn army, um, with the snow bases yeah. and the little tufts. And I, and I didn't feel there was any space to put that stuff. So I put these little bases on. And visually, uh, you know, I have to say I'm absolutely over the moon. I'm really happy with the difference it makes. And, and it's kind of made me think, feel that this is the way I'm going to move forward with terrain with this kind of very close in. Cause I've been on the fence between, and we've spoken about it before between not basing it at all. Yeah. Um, so that it can go on a, a, any battlefield, I suppose as being one of the reasons for that. Um, and is easy for models to move right up to the edges of, etc. Yeah. Or yeah. putting it on a proper base, which, yeah. um, Again, I like, but I suppose what I would, what I really want from my terrain collection is the ability to set a scene as I put it down. Mm. And I think by having these close in bases, and I'll do like, I'm going to do little piles of barrels 
on a little base that would then slot up against another pile of barrels on a little base. You could just do texture as well. Yeah. You know, and dot that around. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like it was a real eye-opener, a really fun project to do that terrain. I really enjoyed it. Um, Got me excited about doing mine, actually. I, I, I've been looking forward to doing it and then I just sort of it went to the went to the back of my mind, and I'd forgotten about it completely, almost. Um, and then uh, you started doing yours, and I'm, I'm quite. I've been stealing ideas and things that you've learned along the way. So there's little bait that little extra basing. I'm really excited about. Uh, I think I'm going to end up with a, a different approach to my 40k scenery because I'm. I'm going to do like the mechanical industrial structures on the Necromunda bases. Yeah, yeah, I remember you said. So that I can put them down as a separate thing, but if I wanted to, I can bring them together to make a Necromunda board, Um, which does mean that my industrial stuff is going to look pretty ancient. But um, That's cool, though. Um, So what what I want to do next, um, there's something called, I think it's called like the Shattered Plaza or something like that. There's a couple of pieces anyway a couple of fountains yeah Yeah, with a cool fountain um and there's one which has got the bell in it i don't particularly want another bell but chris is up for having that um and but but what it's got is it's got some buildings with like part of the first floor on which brings a bit more height and then i think if i paint that the same and combine the two you're gonna have an awesome like shattered ancient ruins for an age of sigmar table and then i've got and i have spoken about this before um as a, an idea but i've got these giant towers yeah from, from the this chaos dread hold i've got three i've got two i've got two of the towers and one of the sort of bast overlord bastion which is a bit bigger version and um i feel like combining that together will make it look like an ancient like overrun force uh settlement of order that then corn's just been like right i shall dominate you <laughs> build big tower build big tower you know we, we've spoken a lot about how to do those dread keeps before but how do you how would you find or how would you feel about um going for the bronze the brass look and and doing them the same as the head so doing them all in in the brass rune or brass weathering them and then going in with washes of red to give it the red yeah that's probably what i would do something like flesh terror to just sort of and blood effects so it it looked like you're getting the red from something else Mm. i think that would look really ace and that would take a lot less time than your original plan, which was to do them red, the gold trim, which I think would kill. I'm you. never doing that. Destroy you. No. 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 So, um, to sort of wrap up, really, I've also started working on Aspire Tyrants Warband because I've been playing a lot of Warcry and really, really loving it. Really yeah. loving it. Like, been down to sort of 45, 50 minutes a game, and then you can play two or three. And it's just ace, um, really, really good and very cinematic. 
some fantastic moments like leaping off stuff and crashing into things it's been really cool and beasties you get like we started using the roaming beasties and i absolutely love them constantly just trying to bite people's kneecaps with the bird ones you've forgotten your uh spontaneous purchase oh yeah no i haven't forgotten it i haven't forgot i wasn't going to get away with that no you were not <laughs> so i bought and i bought the ogroid myrmidon um which is just a lush which model. is just I mean, amazing and he fits well i'm painting him at the same time as the spire tyrants to link him in um and i'm also painting up the um dark oaf war queen which i've had for ages and she and i'm painting her again i'm painting her up as part of the spire tyrants band um bit annoying i've i've mucked them up a bit because i've tried to do zenithal with the rattle cans again which i have done before but i've left too much of the flesh a bit dark so the contrast isn't gonna i don't think it's gonna work properly so i'm gonna have to probably bring a bit of that up a little bit with a brush first before i put the contrast over the top um because it is it is too dark um I bought the Warcry figure case because, you know, you've got to dive into these things, haven't you? Can't help yourself. And then I thought, you know what? I spent all this time painting chaos, painting corn. I really, really need a break. So I bought Scarbrand. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course... Uh... Is uh, is now your fourth bloodthirster? Am I right? No, third. Lies. It is only my third, so I've still got one more to do after this one. Have you got to, it? To have one of each? No, no. No, I will okay. get it. See, look, look, when you've got the fourth one, then it's it's the dead cert. You're on to eight. I'm halfway That'll to eight, happen. then, aren't I? So, yeah. yeah I mean, Dan um, Dan Wasley's going to come on um in the mortal realms realm. to talk about an event we went to uh, and then all becomes a bit more clear because uh i uh i came home from an event where what you did fantastically Listen, i i will save it for the mortal realms <laughs> but i think everybody knows quite how likely that is to have happened um but ultimately i came home and bought a more powerful bloodthirster so i think that tells you everything you need to know about how that went you, you can't just keep opening the next bloodthirster box Dan. Uh, you can't solve all our problems by buying another bloodthirster the hell i can't <laughs> <laughs> yes indeed yeah that was great so yeah i'm doing him um just built the model straight out of the box but i'm making him a a giant base with i think there's 69 skulls on the base at the moment so 69 recurring number i should just go up to 88 but i just can't stand taking off any more mold lines you came up with a good idea didn't you yeah so like you know yeah. ben said like in the, a fish and chip shop you get these potato peeling machines where you just put them all in and then you wind a handle and it peels them all we need the same thing but in miniature for taking mold lines off tiny skulls in fairness i'm i'm up for it taking the mold lines of everything it so. <laughs> yeah that would be good that would be good because honestly hand on heart it's the only part of this hobby that i would happily just get rid of like that bam done get rid of it never have to do it again 
hate mold lines. Having said that, having recently cleaned the mold lines off of a billion elves from like the 90s and early noughties, I can say with a degree of certainty that mold lines now are nothing like what they used to be. They were yeah, horrendous. That's true. <laughs> I'd forgotten just how bad they were. So you've been marching through some space. Yeah, walls. so it's been a hell of a project, really, because the idea was to get all of my Astartes space walls done so then I could put them to bed. Because, And I'm right. The release this weekend is another good example of why it is absolutely vital that if I didn't do them now, there was a good chance that they would just never get done. Never get done. Um, so I, I've done the whole lot at once and as a batch, but I, I have a standard that I have to, in my head, do my space walls at minimum standard, um, which you keep I've, adding to. Yeah, I do. And, and to be honest, there's been a lot of mistakes along the way. So I'd, I've done the armour in a way that now, retrospectively, I, I feel like I should have just done them the same as I did my um, Primaris and and Zenith them um, using the airbrush and just had done with it because I could have saved, well, literal days doing that. Um, <laughs> but I didn't. I've, I've sort of gone for a sort of Zenithal... Um, style of, of, of painting, like a light source style of painting with them. And, and I think it looks great, but it's just took a long time. And also I washed them all with like a brown wash, which I don't think now would, is necessary because um, because I've, I've decided to add in the final stage at the end, which we'll come on to later. So the yellow, I've also added in more of a brown transition, but I've been going that back. That looks and, really good. Uh, I've been doing that on um, because it's something I've been talking about for ages, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Is getting a brown transition on the yellow, Um, and I've added that onto my old blood claws um, and my old long fangs and my oldest squad of grey hunters are the first ones I finished painting up, and I will be going back and doing it on all the primaris as well, which won't take me too long because there's only like twenty of them, Um, and I've highlighted the red up an extra stage that I did on the Primaris. And then I'm going back and doing that on the Primaris as well, because I found that in room light, you couldn't see the difference very easily between the black and the red, which really irritated me actually. So, um, cause I quite like keeping my colors a little bit more muted. So I've highlighted that up a bit more. Um, I think that was a good pro- choice. I have to say, just, I think making them pop a little bit more. Yeah. And actually when, when you turn the light off on the desk, you can see the reds and the yellows and the and the blacks are much clearer. So I think that, to me, is a good indicator that it was the right decision. As much as it was a complete ball ache, and it will be to go back and do it on all the Primaris, I think it was is something that just needed to be done. It's important sometimes, with well, I'm sure it is. I'm sure people would say it is for single miniatures, but I find for army painting to, when you finish for a session, go away, when you come back, review what you're doing, but with, before you put your hobby light on, yeah. um, or and in some natural light, and, and there's loads of views on the right kind of bulbs and all the rest of it. And I quite well, I use two bulbs, so I have a yellow bulb and a white bulb. Yes, I mean I have to say I quite like a bright bulb. I think I'm yeah. just used to it. I think when I was younger, I used to paint with it 
and now i i do the same and it is it is very bright but i'm like that around the house as well harriet's forever like turn the lights off what are you doing sunny outside and i'm like but i can't it's not burning my retinas so it's not bright <laughs> enough um yeah no i i feel the same about my hobby desk but yeah, yeah but it is worth um coming back and having a look because you 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 lose what it will look like on the table it might look a lot brighter yeah than it does yeah. it's kind of why i ended up doing snow bases like for my corn and then um and adding in a highlight on all the gold and stuff because actually once it was on the table it just didn't pop like it no. did on the on the map on the on the under the lamp yeah so i've also um also gone back and and made some my original squad of grey hunters i'd done bronze trim on their shoulder pads i've gone back and done those in 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 the color of their plates which is a space of gray um but just because i felt that they had too much metallic on them and they looked too veteran and actually it's really easy to over veteran space walls because there's so many accessories on the sprues that you can end up with guys that could be a captain <laughs> you know look in a just a standard squad squad member uh, so i've gone back and made the trim um space with gray with the idea then that the um the long fangs and the uh wolf guard will then have bronze trim on their shoulder pads mm -hmm. and then the lords lord and the wolf guard like battle leaders will have gold um just to make them all stand out a bit <clears throat> um which i think again took extra time but worth doing there's been some things that I've really had to fanny around with, like the fur I just could not do quickly for the love nor money. I must have gone over that about 15 times and and reworked it. And now I'm sort of to the point where I'm relatively happy with it. But my first idea worked really well, but I think I made it too yellow. I added in a, a yellow into the fur and that didn't work. Um, so I've had to go back and rework a lot of it. But that, that was a... a if I'd have done it all on one squad and then expanded it out to 80, I wouldn't have had any of these problems. <laughs> it's really frustrating when you have to repair something over 80 models. It's infuriating. Um, but yeah, no, uh, the the transfers are on now as well. Oh, really? Which, um, That's a big step. Yeah, they're all done. Um, that was a huge step. It took about four hours to do all the transfers across all of them they're one of that that's um, one of those sneaky steps i think where you think it won't be long because actually in your brain you're like thinking about how much time it's saving you from not having to paint it all. but actually it yeah. still does take quite a while to do transfers properly oh yeah yeah i mean yeah absolutely because you've got gloss varnish at first then put the transfer on with your micro set and soul and then go over afterwards it, it's yeah it's um not to so, mention the amount of swearing that goes into the process. Yeah. So the only thing I've got left to do now is I've got I've left all of their faces because I want to individually do their faces um, because they're such a key part of Space Wolf model. I, I wanted to do that. Um, I have got to do um, the plasma glow on all the plasma weapons. Highlight the black. I'm halfway through highlighting the bone and claws. Um, and I've got to highlight the leather. And then the last thing to do is the weathering and the edge highlight and all the power armour. 
and then they're done. Apart from the last stage, which I've decided to add in, which is the um, a wash with streaking grime, um, which I just absolutely love. I tried it because one of the um, Tom the Tank was going on about it, and I thought actually I could keep meaning to try it because it, it, I think it does add that little bit of extra grim dark that I was looking for um, without getting rid of all of those highlight pops that you've been you know aiming for. And I'm really happy with how it looks on the two test models. So I'm going to be doing that across the army. Tom's a bugger because he goes and get, sees these things and then he gets so passionately excited about them that you just have to do it and yeah. try it out. And honestly, he's well on the streak and grime at the moment. I worry if I sat still near him long enough, he'd bloody streak and grime me. It's ridiculous. So hopefully when this is all done, I will have um, the best part of, 50, uh, 60 Grey Hunters finished, 15 extra Blood Claws, um, six Sky Claws, and um, uh, and six Long Fangs extra, all done, um, which is a huge amount, um, as well as having revamped my original Grey Hunters because they just needed it. They were done a long time ago, and they needed bringing in line with everything else. And um, you know they've um, they've written all the first generation marines out of the new codex, don't you? Uh huh. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm. I'm. It's been a long project. It's been the best part of two months now, but um, but it's well, it might even be three months kicking on now. Actually, two and a half months. But I think. The other thing is, I, the, I haven't been putting as much time in the last couple of weeks because I've just been exhausted. So um, it's been difficult to focus and get home and just passing out, frankly. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, life is such a balance between all the things. But I think you, yeah. you know, a big part of why you're exhausted is because you're making some fantastic strides to making your yourself a lot healthier and that in the long run is going to have really positive impact yeah so th i suppose that that, that also uh, another side hobby project that i've been working on is building my hobby shed yeah. um, which is <laughs> there been is that physical. as well <laughs> uh which has been pretty physical and exhausting and um frankly putting a felt shingles on the roof of it in 28 degree heat was the least fun thing I've done in the last six months. <laughs> like that a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Um, and full respect to people who do that day in, day out. Um, I will, next time I will not be wearing shorts because they, they turn my legs into just giant, almost great big red rash. It's just brutal. Um, but that's nearly done. Now the floor to do, power to do. And then I've got to do the insulation board on the inside and then I'll be moving in, um, which Joe will be very happy about because I'll be moving out of this room, um, which she's desperate to get into and turn into something a little bit less cluttered and messy. Somewhere for me to stay when I'm visiting the shed. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, like you said, I've been, um, we've talked about this a lot, but um, at the start of the year, we might have mentioned that I had a bit of a health scare. Um my blood pressure went astronomical, um, mainly probably to do with stress, to be honest. But um, various other factors obviously play a part in that. 
And uh, so I've been on a health spree. I've been running regularly, losing weight, and ridiculously, <laughs> I might have accidentally signed up for the virtual London Marathon <laughs> on the 4th of October, um, which I will be walking quickly, not running, because I'm definitely not capable of running it. But um, we did a practice run, a practice one today, uh, 11.8 miles um, in three and a half hours. And I, my feet are now just basically a, a big blister. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to work out whether I made a big, big decision, uh, a, a big, big mistake. So <laughs> I think I might have done. You'll, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> yes. But we're doing that for Fleet, which is the Frontline Emergency Equipment Trust, which I, um, a couple of my colleagues um, are, fr- are frontline doctors and they're part of it and it's a great charity yeah well Um, we're gonna put a link up to that are we yeah okay we're gonna do that um they they provide a lot of the community defibrillators in the southwest um which is uh, frankly life-saving defibrillators save save lives cpr is is only a stopgap before you can get a defibrillator realistically Mm. um so they the amount of lives that they've saved just by providing those in, in local communities is is really difficult to quantify. Well, I think and that's I, awesome. Yeah. Which I've said to and you. Hopefully, already. you know, I might get to go and see the helicopter because I just sort of flipping love helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get enough of helicopters. When I used to work in A&E, I used to run out to the helicopter every time it landed because I was like, I want to be there one at the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. We were t- I was talking about helicopters earlier, but I, that was in the context of if I was to win the lottery, I would buy a house in Cornwall and a house in North Wales and fly between the two because I love yeah, both car- places. carbon footprint would be tiny. Yeah, it'd be fine. be fine. In North Wales? Yeah. I didn't realise you had any affinity to North oh, Wales. Oh, mate, there's loads of tiny oh, the trains railways. in North yeah, Wales. Railways. Yes, it's complete with tiny yeah. trains. <laughs> Oh yeah, I love tiny things. My wife miniature trains are like super. I love tiny trains. I love tiny models. My wife's really small. It's just it's like a it's like a some kind of weird reverse compensation for being huge. (laughs) Yeah. So now now we're recording in a slightly different way. I have no idea how long we've been banging on for. Uh, Probably too long as that seems to be a common factor. So I think because there was so much awesome announced today, it would be a great time to go into the galaxy of war. Absolutely. Okay, welcome listeners to the grim darkness of the far, far, far future. Where it's grim. It is grim. Okay. Um, they can do with brushing their teeth a bit more. Yeah. Mm. Now, before we get into the amazing awesomeness that's been previewed and come out, I need to talk about Valdor. The book. Oh, 
My goodness. So I have steered away from the heresy novels for quite some time because I've been worried that if I just dip in, I'll have missed things. And actually, it's quite a trawl getting through everything mm. on the audiobooks. And I've enjoyed them. Oh, there's loads. And I've been enjoying a bit of uh, Callis and Toll and some of that stuff in uh, the Mortal Realms. But I've got a load of credits built up because I haven't been listening to books as much recently. And, um, and I thought I'd try Baldor. It's just incredible, mate. It is just so, so good. So it's set, and I'm not going to give away any of the story, but it's set on Terra at the really at the birth of the Imperium. So it it, it deals with Thunder Warriors. Mm. Um, I can't I can't really say. Suffice to say, the book opens at a point that there are Thunder Warriors. There are custodies, and the Primarchs have not yet been scattered. And that's how far back it is. And Valdor is an absolute legend. It's so good. It's so good, mate. And it's really interesting, and it's a really cool insight onto just how far the Emperor... Baldor, Malkador, go to to create the Imperium. Mm. Um, the way they treat the Thunder Warriors is, is a dark part of Imperial history, really. Yeah, but not just the Thunder Warriors, it turns out. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's quite remarkable, actually. And you, you kind of, it makes you think, you know, got to remember that like the emperor is just looking at things on a just a completely different stage just completely different he's very rational minded it's very rational minded very black and white very numerical very how does the species survive like you say you know to, to him i think his mind works on such a different level that individuals are you know they're not they're not they don't have the same currency as to everybody else it's really interesting because there's a great bit i think i i tried not to give stuff away but i i did love this bit and it's it's not a massive giveaway but it's just interesting there's a fantastic bit when one of the key players in the gene manipulation stuff is considering why the emperor needs them um, because he's so intelligent. And the conclusion she draws is that he is so perfect, essentially, that he struggles to accept creating something that is not perfection. And actually, the reason he brings humans on board is because they are capable of compromise. Um, and that's what he needs to move forward um because like the custodies are the absolute pinnacle of this gene manipulation art and they're created really early on but but you he simply cannot create enough of them to just have them yeah um because they are just incredible 
so yeah um if you haven't listened to Valdor or read it do (laughs) (laughs) i sat i kid you not looking at the model for like 20 minutes on forge world thinking i just want that on the shelf i just want that on the shelf (laughs) but i don't trust myself because it wouldn't be just him on the shelf no you don't they are so amazing do you reckon they'll ever release a model for the emperor i think they will i think you'll end up with a horus at the uh, final battle model and an emperor at the final battle model. Yeah. I mean... Just as a model. You know, people would want that just as a model. Yeah, there's no, I, think, there's, I think... There's no reasonable reason to, to create a set of rules for those two, because, you know, there's there's books which dem- basically demonstrate, like, the emperor's psychic power was to an extent where when he arrived on um, Nostramo or whatever the planet of the Night Lords is, anyone who looked directly at him was blinded by his magnificence. And the first captain, sort of, I forget his name, the really, really good one. Sevatar? Sevatar, that's it. He's sort of pondering on the issue and realises that other people have looked directly at him and not, been blinded so it was a choice that the emperor made to make an impact on his arrival to Nostramo or whatever it's called to to, to to basically have that effect on people with his psychic powers and we're talking like a whole crowd of hundreds of thousands of people um and anyone who looked directly at him was essentially blinded in some way but you know you can't you can't manifest that sensibly as a set of rules I don't think you can because if you put him on a table against anything other than Horus, it, that, it's just over. <laughs> it's just done. Um, and I, I, yeah, but the model itself would be... Do you know what would be amazing is if they did, and it would be stupendously expensive, but you know how they did Sanguinius versus the Bloodthirster and they did more and more like Russ versus Magnus. Yeah. They need to do the Emperor versus Horus and recreate the Mike McVeigh. Is it Mike McVeigh or Yeah, scenic base, yeah. The the that that diorama. Yeah, it's great. Don't they? Yeah. They and do. Adrian yeah. Smith's piece of art, which is based on an older piece of John Blanchard, I think. Yes, it is, yeah. So black and white sketch. Yeah, uh, that's all they need to do. Anyway, we are we are ruminating on things that aren't even the exciting things that are actually coming out. Um, but definitely go listen to that book. Um, so where would you like to start, Mr. Hall? So I'd like to start, well, we actually, incredibly, we've just worked out that we haven't even talked about Indomitus and the release. And Dan and I opened the box set um, together on, on a Zoom meeting. Um, and to, to be honest, but let's, let's give the whole picture. When we got to that point, um, I, I personally... I can't, I'm not going to speak for Dan, he's more capable of doing that himself, was in a pretty dark place about um, the 40k release. And it was almost entirely due to how poor I thought the app was. I thought it was terrible. Um, and as, I don't want to overham it, but I think as a, as a product that Games Workshop has released, it's the worst one they've done in my memory. 
um, the quality of the product, the value for money, everything about it was just abysmal. Um, so my, that very seriously coloured my view on the whole thing, really. And I, I was in a bit of a grump about it. Um, however, as with all of these things, when I had the box set in my hand, um, you know, the, the doubts dropped away, like, you know, washing yourself after a, a, a hard workout. It just, it was just cleansing. It was fantastic. Um, and I don't think there's a single part of that Indomitus box that I wasn't absolutely in love with. So the models in it, we've already spoken about them um, as they were released, lived up to my expectations, um, and then some in person. I think they're absolutely fantastic. They are taking box set models to a whole next level, which we all all say every single time they release a box set, um, you know, the, the, the push fit models are never going to get better than this. Um, we said that about all of them and they, and they do every time. And, it, and somehow we're always surprised. <laughs> they do every time. Um, and yeah, they're fabulous. Um, I haven't got to work on them because I've been working on my space walls, but um, I'm very, very excited about getting, getting them. Basically, by the time I'd opened Indomitus, I'd already put my made-to-order order in for the for another box for my space walls because we worked out the value for money was just was just incredible. Um, but miniatures aside, they've ch- <laughs> again this is a double-edged sword. So the rule book um, rule book has changed size again. Uh, which is really frustrating as a collector that we just continuously change in the size of books. Whereas I suppose that's irritating on the background that when I, for the best part of 15 years, every book was exactly the same size. <laughs> so um, it's only irritating in that respect. But the core rule book being bigger means that the pages are bigger and it's just a better book, isn't it, Dan? You know, as, oh, as, a, yeah. as a book, it's yeah. just a better book. And I cannot explain how excited I was reading a short story about Pryad, the Iron Snake. Oh, my God. Oh, I nearly had a meltdown. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Pryad is still flipping ridiculous, having spent the best part of what five years on an all-converted planet beating the snot out of everything that moves. Wonderful short story if you haven't got it. I haven't read it, find it in the book. It's brilliant. Um, it just, it's another one of those reminders. And I love the fact that it's Iron Snake because Iron Snake for me was the modern book that put the, a pin in the map and said, this is how good an Astartes is. Um, th- this is it. This is how it works. Um, and this one, as far as I'm concerned, followed straight on from that. You know, the fact that a space marine can basically be on a on a on an orc planet, and I think they're, they're they're not as technically advanced as the orcs that play on the board, on, you know, on the table. There's not as many firearms, and, um, but can be on an orc planet for five years, not sleep, really, you know, apart from shutting down half his brain, carry on working, carry on going, carry on pushing, and just consider that as part of his day job. <laughs> 
that's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I love that like there's this little bits it drops in, like who knows that this is the highest point on the Western continent because he's been everywhere in the Western continent. <laughs> so he knows it is. So when he says, I'm going to be at the highest point in the Western continent, that, that is without a shadow of a doubt where he is. Um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, I'm actually hoping now that the new, all the new books will be in that size because there's just something about the extra room they've got on the page, isn't there? I know it might not be really obvious, I suppose, to some people, but I feel when I opened the book, it felt more like a proper, you know, big book filled with, filled with good stuff. Absolutely loved it. So just that's my view on the Indomitus box. Um, I bought two because um, I was going to buy the rule, the core box. Um, but we have... I've I've had reservations about the core box on price, not on content. I've come around to the content. I think having a box set, what's it called? The crew is it called the Crusader um, box? I'm not sure. You, I know there's like the elite edition, isn't there? There's the elite, the next level up, and the level commander. Of that. Commander box, I think it's called, isn't it? What is effectively the status kit? Love the fact it's got actual scenery in and an actual board and two armies. It's a proper status kit um, and a smaller hardback version of the rule book. Um, but I think I think it, it feels a little bit odd being over a hundred hundred quid. I think that was a win for me. That was a ceiling that. Yeah, you are right. There's a recruit edition. Then there's the Elite Edition, and then there's the Command Edition. Yeah, Command Edition. So I think it's worth saying, like, because I've I, I not really said a lot, but it, it's interesting how quickly even someone that's excited by the hobby can go down a bit of a spiral of getting yeah. a bit grumpy um, yeah. if you're not careful. So uh, the example for me with this new with new 40k is i think i think right from the get-go a bit of me felt it was too soon um and that sort of then colored things so so the app um thus far not really been the app we were hoping for um certainly against the age of sigma one although i do acknowledge they are updating things and i think more importantly and yes ultimately you would say they're not going to come out and just say this is rubbish but as often they do um the community team hyped it so much um and set such a store of expectation on it that it it was almost doubled the impact of it not quite being what we were hoping for um it wasn't a finished product when it came out not even not even close to being a finished product um no so and then it was things like why is the measure, the the combat gauge, five inches when loads of stuff in the game, you know, it, the most common movement is six. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit weird. The fact that the box of objectives came on 50 mil bases, even though in the rule book it suggests 40 mil, that was a bit weird. Yeah. Um, so there was a few things and, and it just seemed to sort of focus in on those things like it's hard the, to get past the brain. Wasn't it? Yeah. Um, 
and and i would say i don't know about yourself but i've moved through that now and i'm oh, I'm, yeah. I'm very excited yeah. i think the rule book had a massive part to play on that like just yeah. the visuals and the stuff in there um and i think just to touch on your point about the the price of the starter sets i think importantly i don't think either of us feel that they're not they're value for no, money great products and they are va- and they, they are value for money and they're great products and actually that command edition is absolutely the starter set that is needed to introduce you to a range the 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 hot the, the, the range of things within the hobby um putting that scenery there right at the beginning of the journey so it's not the kind of the side bit that you add on i think that's all really good yeah i say i, I think our our sort of concern and, and ultimately at the end of the day you know games workshop and the people that they have doing all their prices and stuff have far more experience than we do but just i just worry i just don't think you should put barriers to beginners to beginners and i feel like a hundred breaking the hundred pound point is an unnecessary barrier um you know but but who knows? You know, hopefully Games Workshop stocks and new entrant people and stuff will just keep going up. Um, I just think perhaps it's just because we spent time, we both spent time working in Games Workshop retail and it was constantly about new people playing with the miniatures, new people playing with the miniatures. Now, Games Workshop are doing fantastic. And I don't know the answer to this next rumination, but what I would say is... I. I hope, I hope that that growth in sales um, is not all coming from pre-existing, pre-existing people just buying more stuff because mm. that's not longevity. Um, I don't think it is all of that. I think there's a lot of people coming into the hobby from all sorts of different angles now. So people coming in on the computer game side of things and on the board game side of things and mm. and all stuff like that. And, and also you've got the fact that there's you know games which are expanding and reaching out to new parts of the world and the globe with different products so they're they're obviously reaching new people i just hope that they don't put a price barrier into new people getting into playing with the models yeah i agree but we'll see Uh, it's just a rumination and at the same time you know if if i was a parent or you know because that's if we're being honest that's sort of people sort of mindset you'd have to have when you're considering this or even um, a teenager walking into um, a games workshop I would be questioning why Soul Wars had more miniatures in it and the big rule book and was priced so much lower best part of 10 quid lower um, which I suppose isn't that much when you look at it it's you know it's, it's only 15 pounds I think I think Command is 110, isn't it? And uh, and Soul Wars is 95. But it's a big difference when one of them is three numbers and one of them is two. Is what I'm getting at. You know that it doesn't matter if it's only a couple of quid. Actually, there's a big difference there. I think the, I think the hundred hundred quid mark just seems like an odd place to go. But like you said, we don't know. Um, I am denied about getting it um, for the scenery, but then changed my mind when they they released the box set of scenery that's going to be coming out which that reads us perfectly on to the next bit which was the reveal about four weeks ago that they did um 
about 40k and various things. So they did a bit of everything, didn't they? But the 40k stuff really got me excited. So um, the thing that really got me excited, and, and anyone who knows me knows that I think that narrative play is easily my favourite part of 40k, and competitive play um, I struggle with because... I think the, the fact that you're in competition with the person you're playing with can sometimes make it less fun. I'm going to put it out there. You know, for a lot of people, that's not true, but that's my personal opinion. But the competitive play book really got me excited. Like genuinely really excited me because basically what it talks about is bringing scenery into the competitive game of 40K so that you would be required or part of your army would be a set of scenery that went with that army that you could tailor um, to give your army an advantage. So if your army has um, advantages in, let's just say, for sake of argument, ruins, um, and having dense like cover to sneak through is an advantage, you would, you would buy that set so that you had lots of places to hide to advance on the enemy. Or if you wanted a big thing um, that gave you overwatch so you could see like in loads of different areas of the battlefield, height, so you can stick your heavy troopers on there, you, wanted that you could take that with you um, so you didn't always have to worry about getting that onto the table somewhere or what board you're going to be playing um, and that is just awesome because it means from a hobby perspective people are going to be buying scenery and painting it to tie in with their army that is a win however you look at that that is so exciting and fabulous and I cannot wait to see armies with themed scenery coming with them um, to tournaments. I think that's going to be bonza. Um, it's going to help people organising tournaments because people will be bringing their own scenery with them. It's going to help gaming clubs for exactly the same reason. Um, I just <laughs> it just excites me in so many ways. It's a fantastic idea. Um, and I suppose it's a really obvious idea having um, the Age of Sigma scenery that's you know basically been a part of Age of Sigma now for the best part of two years I think um, every army that's come out has has got a new piece of scenery apart from the um, Lumineth Realm Lords Games Workshop where is my Elven Tower come on, <laughs> come on. where is I, it I don't think you've got anything for your Oryx either have you no no mustn't grumble though but you could use the Moonshrine for I, I use them I love, I love the Moonshrine even my corn army got a wizard tower did get a wizard tower but I love the idea of scenery mixed in um, on the other side of that, the narrative book, they released a book which they they described it as like a DLC. So for your crusade armies, special weapons, special rules, special environments for playing in a specific area. In this case, and I've forgotten the name of it, the Necron area, which Indomitus has set. Um, so people can paint, theme, design an army based entirely on that book and that setting to have a crusade army for that book. Um, and obviously they will bring out other ones um, for other settings, which I think is a fantastic way of rolling in things like um, Indomitus, uh, the Psychic Awakening books, advancing storyline with having a crusade setting there. Again, I think that's a fantastic idea and I'm mm. loving that. Um, so between those two releases, I was hopping with excitement and I immediately got on the messaging you. And was like, this is the, 
You were very normally, excited about those books. I don't get, don't really, honestly, don't get that excited about rules books, um, other no. than the pretty pictures. <laughs> That's about um, about it, really. Um, but and the background. Sorry, um, but those two things really excite me from because because it it brings the hobby into the book. The actual modelling hobby is into the book. So your crusade armies, where you're you're basing, you're painting, you're designing your crusade army to fit with that book, and your the scenery for your tournament army being part of the part of the army, um, it's it's just fabulous ideas. Um, and what they're going to be doing is very much like the um, kill team terrain sets. They're going to be releasing terrain sets that you can buy that will have roughly the amount of scenery in that you would need for your army. Um, and is the main reason I won't be buying the command box because they're releasing the terrain that's in there um, separately in one of these boxes. And I think, um, I think that's... It's called like Ver- Vertius or Vertigus or something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm very, very excited about that um, because I love those kind of big boxes of scenery. Um, yeah, I'm just going on now, Danny. Do you want to say anything before I? Because I could keep going. Beyond the Veil is the uh, is the Mission Pack Crusade book. Yeah, Vertigus is the scenery pack. No, so I mean, it's just really. I mean, my mind's just thinking on to more uh, recent reviews. So talking about scenery, quite clearly some Death Guard specific piece of terrain. That's um, in the review video seen... this weekend. Yeah. Obviously, we've seen the crazy, whatever it's called, bunker of death that the Space Marines are getting, and um, the the Necron awesomeness, yeah, obelisk things. So we're going to so see more looks, of it, more army specific stuff. Yeah, it looks looks that way, doesn't it? Because I know the so I know Chaos have got the Noctilith Crown, haven't they? Mm, yeah, um, at the moment, which is pretty cool. Um, so. Today we found out that certain bearded wonder is getting his new codex this side of Christmas. Yeah, I, last time Space Wolf One was right at the back end, um, so I'm quite excited that it's at the front end. But it's a it's a codex supplement, and we don't really know exactly what that is yet. Um, they've described them, but it's hard to tell. I'm worried that it's not going to have all the rules in there. And by that, I mean that you will need the Space Marine Codex as well as the supplement to play that army, um, which I just think is a bit of a pain in the ass. Well, I would say that's almost certainly going to be the case because that is exactly what a supplement is. Yeah, but not always. You know, like the the Codex supplements in 3rd edition, the the Space Wolf one was a supplement to the... And that was... um, they, they were self-contained army lists. I would prefer it if it was one codex, but I think having to have two books is frustrating. Very frustrating. Mm. Yeah, they definitely, you do need a lot of books at the yeah. moment, don't you? Um, Forces you into the digital for, the, for when you're actually playing the game, yeah. especially if you're away from home. Yeah, or you definitely. could use the new app. 
So the other new codexes, um, so you've got Necrons, who are still getting more cool new stuff. So it looks like we've got plastic flayed ones I've seen today. Um, and... It doesn't get more grimdark than that. They are no, it doesn't. Horrible. And more, even more destroyers. Loads of destroyer type stuff, isn't there? Which is quite cool. Um, I love that. What's that dude with like the face coming out of the energy that's swirling up around him? Uh, pirate, yeah, pyromancer type thing. I'm sure it is. I think um, it's a pyromancer, yeah. Yeah, I think it is as well. Um, yeah, the, the, the Space Marine release today and the and the Necron release was just massive. Um, yeah, there's basically a whole new army been revealed for both of them. So, for the Necrons, as much as the Codex has come out. Skip past rules. Better better pictures of the Silent King. Oh, I set off the preview video. Shush now. Um, better pictures of the, of the Silent King, which I love. You've then got the um, Ophidian Destroyers. Mm -hmm. which, uh, back to those snaky ones, which I didn't think they were going to go back to, because those original models were metal, and they were horrendous. Um, even if you pinned them, they broke. Um, the flayed ones are just fantastic. Then you have the Chronomancer and the Psychomancer are the mm. two commander level ones, which are very cool. Yeah, that Psychomancer, I think that is just superb. That is great. Yeah, it's clearly one of those ones that has just sort of given up on having a humanoid body. Yeah. Did you like the thing that in the Space Marine Codex... As part of a crusade, you can put a character that dies in battle into a dreadnought. I thought, yeah, I do. love it, absolutely love it. And then for the Space Marines, we have the the confirmation of the uh, the heavy intercessors um, with the heavy bolt rifle as their armament, and um, of course the Eradicators kit. And then we've got the multi-part kits for the Bay Guard Veteran and the Close Assault Intercessors. And finally, after many, many months of grainy-ass pictures, we have the Storm Speeder. Yes, the new Land Speeder badassery that we've finally seen. Absolutely love that. Absolutely. It's, well, it's Primaris through and through, isn't it? It's just bigger with more guns. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I like that. I took the other thing I really like that I spotted was um, uh, a like a repulsor thing with um twin auto cannon type looking things for blood angels similar to the bile predator type idea um i did was, not spot that that's awesome yeah that was in the army photo um when they were doing the like these are the four codexes that are coming out excellent i am now utterly convinced that january i'm getting new corn berserkers why because I'm not getting them this side of Christmas. Oh. <laughs> so there's nothing, nothing to base that on other than I want them. <laughs> They've got to happen. They have they, got they to really? happen. I don't, I'm not sure they do. They, they will happen, dude. Yeah, sometimes. At some point, years. I am going to get another influx yeah. of axe-wielding loons. Yeah, I know. Joking aside, they are needed and they will be fantastic and I cannot wait for it to happen for you. Because they are 
they are needed. What's going to happen, of course, is they're going to go like mad on corn and hit me with 40k corn and fantasy corn, age of Sigma corn, sorry, at the same time. You have a whole like 100 models more to paint. <laughs> it's all good. I can cope with that. So uh, one thing I got quite excited about is there is in the release picks for the Space Wolf Codex, there is not any new models that I could see, but they p- appear to have painted um, the Reavers in a slightly different colour scheme um, to how they painted them before. So in a two-tone, darker armour, which I am going to fully claim I did first. Um, I'm very happy about <laughs> But I'm wondering whether they're going to be a, a special form of Space Wolf Reaver. Um, which would be very exciting because uh, the Space Wolf Scouts have always been different. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited to see that. I'm really excited about this codex because I hope, or supplement, I really hope it clarifies um, how the new Space Wolf organization works because at the moment it just doesn't make sense to me. It's not, it's not been thought out properly. Um, mm. What? Where's a blood claw? What is a blood claw? They're not a scout, you know. There's no. There's, it just doesn't make any sense. And I think I'm really hoping it puts it to bed, um, so that we have an idea of what actually happens now in the current universe when a space marine joins the the space wolves. What happens to them? Um, or if Enrician joins the space wolf, what happens to them? How do they progress? Um, because if they've lost that kind of difference, I think it's going to be a real shame, mm. my personal view. Because the fact that the blood claws were different from the Space Marine Scouts has, has been one of the fundamental differences for the Space Wolves for some time. Yeah, absolutely. I think Often. that would be a shame. Yes. So the other thing to talk about, finally, just before we sign off, is the new Necromunda excitement. So... We've now seen the third book. Third book. Yeah. Book of Iron. Um, and it's the uh, Orlock, House Orlock. And uh, they've released a whole bunch of new models that I absolutely love. Loving the kind of Grav Pack dudes with the pistols. Really, really like them. Loving the fact now that there are now female models for Orlock, when the background for Orlock is that everybody fought um, or could fight or was a member of the gangs. So there should have been female models from day one, as far as I'm concerned. Um, unlike Goliath and Anesha, which are very specific about it. Um, so I'm very excited to see female models for Orlock. Um, the new scenery, the new base scenery is just brilliant dan i know i know (laughs) i can't imagine that isn't going to find its way onto a great number of battlefields oh yeah it's so good mate in fact to be honest the um i was painting the war cry scenery i really want to get the necromunda terrain now What's what's so fun about it is adding the details. Yeah. Um, And like, so on my Warcry terrain, like doing the bits of rust and stuff was really fun. Um, 
and then but also things like blood splatter like i didn't go mad with it like on my mock corn i put quite a lot of blood on not as much as you would would do perhaps but i do put quite i mean although when i did skillia the spawn it just looks flipping ridiculous i just got over excited and i was just like and there's just blood all over him he looks mental but um I did much the same with the cool graph, and I think it looks fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I've overdone it on him, but it is what it is, to be fair. It's not going to be something I'm going to worry overly about, the fact there might be a bit too much blood on my corn spawn. Um, but, like, on these, I've just done a splatter here or a splatter there, just random little ones. And I'm just loving the idea that in Necromunda you could do that, but then you could also do things like random bits of goo and, like radioactive stuff i i'm i really want my next project to be necromunda scenery because i i really want to do like we've spoken before like a, a, a blending across from industrial abandoned industrial residential areas with a, like a settlement wall um and absolute wasteland um i'm, I'm loving the idea of like little details like um like a pack of playing cards mid-game left somewhere, you know, like modelled onto the floor or onto a table or onto the top of a barrel or an ammo crate so that, you know, your eyes are drawn to all these little details where you're playing the game. I'm loving it, loving the idea of it. I've been mulling over for, like, such a long time. The only thing that's been holding me back, real realistically, is I've had trouble getting hold of the tiles, and I think that's not just me. I think there's a lot of people trying to get old at the moment. But I've only got You four. have to ask, right? Sorry to cut you off, but it is relevant to what you've just said about the tiles. You have to ask just how much money Games Workshop would be making if they could just keep stuff in stock. Yeah. Because the reason that's important is I, I've just, just saw something flick up that I've looked at. Games Workshop, as of two days ago, is now valued at £3.2 billion. Yeah. Which is more than Marks and Spencer and Tui, the what was Thompson's, which I guess you would expect because that's a holiday company, which you can't think would be doing particularly well. But like <laughs> a single games workshop share is worth £97.50. Yeah. Should have bought them when they were a fiver. Is that ridiculous? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I know. I th yeah. Well, I try not to think about what, like when we were working for them, how cheap we could have bought them. We mm. made our fortunes just off that. But yeah, so I mean, the, what I'm seeing a lot of at the moment is is scratch built necromantinery scenery mixed with the stuff that you can buy. Um, made out of like old toys and stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, you've shown me loads of those. I love it. Which is, I think, a really cool way of bulking out that that um, that scenery. One of the things that I am now stuck with though is for the city fight scenery, which I built a little bit of when I got the original um, um, kill team box. Um, now there's staircases 
I really want to add staircases to the wall. Yeah. Because <laughs> I just cannot stand the idea that nothing in 40k seems to have a sodding staircase. It <laughs> 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 drives me man- mad. I just can't get around it. Um, yeah. So, But unfortunately, that sprue is quite expensive on its own. So mm. I think paying 50 quid for a set of stairs for a building is a bit much, really. But, um, Madder things have been done. Yeah. So have we kind of covered off all of 40k in Necromunda now? I think we have. You've you've disappeared into your iPad. Uh, I've just seen an awesome piece of terrain, Warhammer terrain. I'll share it later. Um, yeah, we've we've we have. Um the only thing I suppose left to add, if you've made it all the way to the end of the section, is um just to go back to the bit where I was talking about going down this sort of negative spiral. And now I'm in a good place with it. I played a game of the new ninth edition um, on Wednesday, got a little Wednesday night. Well, every third Wednesday gaming night thing going on. Um, And we played, uh, I think it's called an incursion, but 50 power on um, the 30 by, is it 30 by 22? Smaller board small board it was quite small it wasn't as small as that actually it must have been bigger than that 30 by 44 two, two team boards to, together yeah i think it was 30 by 44 yes it was 30 by 44 that's exactly what it was and um my goodness it you put a lot more terrain on now like we, what we decided to do ben chambers and i is we we literally went right from the beginning of the basic mission the the one that's presented as like with the rules uh and we followed each step because one of the things when you start a new edition is you you inadvertently leave bits of old editions in and yeah. forget changes. So we just went step by step and we got to the scenery bit and we basically doubled what I'd put on the table as a sort of approximation for scenery. Because um, it's it's the suggestion is like one piece for every foot square, which soon filled up the battlefield. And it looked amazing. <laughs> It looked really cool. What we did find, though, is the scenery that I'd made, because I made it quite a long time ago as sort of generic big rocks and stuff, it, you need to you need terrain that you can interact with a bit more because you've got so yeah. much of it um, on the board. Um, and the game was over in a couple of turns cycle. because we started quite close and I ran really, really fast. Um, but it, that wasn't really the point. The point was that we got to try out some of the stuff and it was cool. <laughs> the terrain, definitely. The de- terrain looked, looked really, really good. Yeah. All bunched yeah. up like that. So look very much looking forward to doing more with it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Brilliant. Well, with that in mind, that's enough of the, the grim darkness of the far future. Um, next, we're going to find out just how you go about not coming last at a uh, Mortal Realms event. Did you not come last? No. No. I did not come last. Oh. Well, that's at least something. <laughs> I think I came 17th, actually. I did. I out came 17 out of 20. But below me was somebody who's like his fourth game. Somebody else who was a narrative player and had no idea that this was a competitive event. 
<laughs> and somebody who drank two bottles of wine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hear about all of that and more in the Mortal Realms. Hi guys and welcome to the Portal Realms and we are joined by Dan Wosley is with us who is um, going to talk a little bit along with Dan about Dan's catastrophic failure in the most recent Age of Sigma tournament they went to and I'm dying to hear it <laughs> tell us all about it. I'm not saying anything. I will take great pleasure in telling you about it. I think Dan you might um yeah it's best if you remain silent isn't it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably. So, um, no. To be fair to Dan, I mean, we played we played three practice games in the lead up to the event, and you did really well in all of them. Yes, I lulled you into a false sense of security, didn't I? There a bit. Well, I let. Well, I'd say let you. You just absolutely decimated me with that bloodthirst of yours. Well, that's interesting because one of the things that we were talking about, Dan, is how actually between the two of you, because Dan won the, your practice game so decisively. You didn't think to change your list at all or adapt it, did you? Um, and then, but you, you changed your list even on the last minute, like the night before you were rewriting your list. Um, because yeah, well, you got walloped three times in practice. <laughs> yeah, I think at that point it was obvious that it wasn't quite working. It was um, ultimately the, um, it came down to the fact that in practice, the Bloodthirster had rolled above average in every game. Um, and in the event, it rolled below average um, in every game. So, but if if it if it had not rolled well in the pre games, the practice games, I'd have probably realised that I should be taking Reapers of Vengeance to allow him to pile in an attack twice, as opposed to focusing on Blood Lords, which was giving me. Um, always strikes first and plus four inches movement. Um, and actually, although obviously the, the nature of uh, time and what have you, you can't just change one event in each thing. But fundamentally, in my first game, I was within two wounds of killing something that would have ultimately led, uh, my myself and my opponent agreed, would have ultimately led to my winning the battle and in the second game the same thing happened so in each game there was a an example of where it had had he been able to pile in an attack twice he would have been okay even with below average roll but hey ho i think what's frustrating is just that and we've said this loads of times but we'll i'll say it again when you've got as you grow up you've got less and less time. And so to put aside a whole day is is quite a big deal. Um, to then play four games and the dice to just <laughs> shiv you is very difficult, very frustrating. Chris insists that I should stop. Um, I think you said the same, actually, Ben. Should stop taking so much enjoyment from actually winning. But yeah. Um, the trouble is, you spend ages painting. If stuff's just not effective, it sucks. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, the, I, you know, I I stand by what I said that actually, if your if your enjoyment from the game comes from winning, then you you're you're almost certain to be disappointed at some point because you're not always going to win. But having said that, going to a tournament, your first tournament in a long time, and and losing in every battle. That, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're there for the models, there for the personal in- interactions. It, you know, it's still going to feel bad, and it? it's still going to not be great. We should sort of elaborate on what the, the tournament was. So it was a—I um, don't know the details—but it was an Age of Sigma tournament at uh, Bristol Independent Gaming, um, and it was run by Duncan. Duncan, and what was the points, guys? And the point was to go and have fun and play games. No, the points. <laughs> The size of the armies, thousand points. <laughs> thousand points. <laughs> Plus two hundred points for a custom hero. Oh, on the anvil of apotheosis. Uh, yeah, the anvil of apotheosis, didn't it? Did that work well? Yeah, I think Duncan came up with with a way to kind of balance it because I think when it came out, we all saw the absolutely ridiculous over the top heroes that would just shoot something off the table or be you know ethereal with a with a one plus armor save or whatever you can put your points into. And he he came up with a way of balancing it um, where you can only have one perk from the list um, per... So I don't know, if you want to increase your armor save, you can only do that once. If you want to increase an attack, you can only do that once. Yeah. So okay. that kind of helped help balance it out a little bit more. And how many games did you play across the day? Four. Four. And how did you do, Dan? Was a... Um, I did well in the morning. And then in the afternoon, it all went a little bit, a little bit pear shaped. <laughs> Is it because you had too much big back? Instead <laughs> 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 of food hangover. <laughs> well, we went, we broke, we went to um, Subway for a change. Oh. Dan, you probably, if you run through your games, um, yeah, okay, that would be um, pretty cool. So I took Living City, which isn't a surprise. Um, my general was um, assassin, so I could have some shadow, shadow warriors as battle line. Um, my other battle line was the unit of eternal guard, and then I had ten sisters of the watch, one jar of bomber, and four fulminators. And what did you change the night before? Um, the night before, I didn't have the shadow warriors, and after playing that, I felt like my ability to grab objectives late game or to, and not having anything that would fly. I couldn't get over certain certain units or around the back as easy as Trotson. I got screened out quite easily by Dan, so I changed a few things. I put the gyro bomber in um, as well to give me something with fly, just to, to get around and have a bit more bit more reach around the table. Yeah, that's something that you you're pretty keen about, isn't it, Dan? Having mobility um, to to move around and take objectives. I've always tr- tried to. If the, well, it used to be in Warhammer Fantasy, there were like there were like four phases, like movement, shooting, magic, and combat. I guess it's still the same. And I always tried to, if thought if I could control two or more of the phases, then I'm kind of doing all right. And movement was always my favourite phase, and it still is. It's yeah. the most complicated, the most annoying, but I think if you nail it, then I think that that's what it's about, really. Yeah. So, game one was Battle for the Pass, and I played against Tim who also had a City to Sigmar army. Um, he took Tempest like a Drake Spawn uh, style Tempest So it had Drake Spawn Chariots, Drake Spawn Knights, and it had a Dreadlord on the Black Dragon. 
um, which was really scary because um, in Tempest R you get plus three to your move in the in the first turn. So it always has a 12 inch move, then it has an additional three, then it has a, a kind of like a command trait the way it could run and charge and it used his command point to make that into a six. So where are we up to now? A 21 inch move before you charge? Oh, that's painful. <laughs> so, um, Battle for the Past is um, the one where your home objective is worth one point, the middle, two middle objectives are worth two points, and if you get your enemy's objective, you get four points. Yeah. And he took the first turn and just thought, right, I'm going to have all the objectives. So he moved his army up onto the middle ones and then long-bombed his dragon straight over into my eternal guard and then was kind of on point to take all of the objectives. But I got... I guess I kind of lucked out a little bit in that the the black dragon is quite swingy with its attacks. A lot of its attacks hit on fours, its claws hit on fours, and its jaws hit on fours. And then its jaws damage is D6. And if Eternal Guard haven't moved, they have a three plus save, like yeah. naturally. So I got kind of got lucky that he didn't wipe out all the Eternal Guard and then the dragon was unsupported on its own up the front. And then I could kind of when it was my turn I could mob the dragon and then bring the fulminators on halfway up the table and start eating into his army and I think when he it was kind of all or nothing with the dragon and then when he lost it and I was up in his ranks with the Fulminators that turned the battle a bit in my favour and I think by the fourth turn I think um, he didn't have anything left on the table so I took a I took a major victory for that one. Oh, cool cool what was your worst battle then um, my worst battle was the trying to get into the shop Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, I, I don't really know if any of them were worse. Um, I don't. Do you mean the worst, like the game I didn't enjoy the most, or the, the worst performance that I had? The worst performance. Let's go for that. Um, well, it kind of, kind of comes down to two in the afternoon. So by the end of the morning, um, you know, I'd won my first two games and it was going quite well, and then, and then I lost my two in the afternoon. I got. I got quite soundly beaten in game three and game four was quite close and it was star strike. And I think sometimes the stars fall on your units and sometimes they don't. But in game three, I, like I said, I think I was quite soundly beaten in, in that one. So I played against Ivan who has over more tribes and he went on to win the event. And we played um, the blade's edge, which is like there are six objectives in the middle and each one's worth a point, um, which is quite, quite easy. Um, to work out so um, I took the first turn and I just laid my shadow warriors down in the middle and took all the objectives in a big long line and then that I thought that was quite I was a bit risky but then I thought it might pay off it might not and then in the end I think it did pay off because he doesn't have anything with fly he kind of just had to move his army up to where the shadow warriors were and couldn't couldn't go forward and get into my lines as much um, I think he was quite surprised by that because he gave me the first turn. He thought, oh, he's living city, he's shooting. He'll be quite defensive and cagey and probably won't do anything in the first turn. But I tried my best to kind of surprise him a bit. But then his counter was really strong, as ogres are. They come in and just decimate stuff um, and take toys off tables. That's what they love to do. Um, and then the game got really interesting where we like both of us were kind of down to only sort of two or three units on the table. Um, but because the realm was Ulgu, which is where is the realm of shadow and all scenery, the blocks line of sight. 
Um, Ivan played really, really well with that. So the living city mechanic is that if you shoot, you can move again. And that's how you get around the table and get onto objectives and get into units that you want to attack. So you're basically doubling your movement. But Ivan managed to use the terrain being in it or behind it really, really well. So that actually it left me no options of anything to shoot and nothing. And then I couldn't move again and I couldn't see see the things that I needed to see. And then I just kind of, there wasn't really a lot for me to do by turn four. Um, just He just played a really, really great game and played the scenario really well and played the realm really well. Um, what was good about the game was, although it, did, it didn't go my way, um, Ivan was a really great guy and really great opponent um, to play against. Um, I was going to say that he, because I played Ivan as my first game, and uh, he was a really nice guy, wasn't he? Oh yeah, it was my most, it was my favourite game, my most enjoyable game that I played, um, because of how close it was and how much thinking I had to do and how much strategizing there was, and also Ivan was just just a real gem, to be honest. Um, I was going to say something, but your your podcast is kind of PG, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we try to. <laughs> okay, colour everyone intrigued. <laughs> we'll leave it at that, will we? <laughs> <laughs> so now we've um, now we've added it. <laughs> um, did you want to add anything about the about the tournament, Dan, or should we move on to um, Age of Sigma broader broader Age of Sigma? Uh, well, I guess <clears throat> I quickly whizzed through my games. I mean, my first game was, as I said, against Ivan um, with the Beast Claws. To be honest, when we were setting up, I was quite confident because I've played Beast Claws quite a bit because because Ben has them. Um, and I had the opportunity to to sort of do a similar thing to what Dan's just said uh, with the dragon, but not in turn one. So I I long bombed my bloodthirster because I had three <laughs> blood type points, which allow me to move in the hero phase and then again in the movement phase. Yeah, and I got into combat, um, but I didn't uh, to his realm walker, which was holding his home objective. Um, and it had nine wounds and I did seven. So that was like the beginning of my like frustration, I suppose. But he was a lovely guy, really good to play. Um, then I played Tim. And to say that we absolutely completely mucked up that game would be an understatement because we comp- we, we just got the scenario wrong. Um, didn't read it properly. Um, didn't realize it was only battle lines that could capture and the dragon that Dan has already referenced I charged in, only did six wounds to it with my Bloodthirster. It killed me back, um, which again shows the swinging nature of the the dragon because, like, against Dan, it, on the charge, struggled to kill... uh, Was it 10 Eternal Guard, dude? Yeah, 10. 10 Eternal Guard. Whereas I charged it and went first with my Bloodthirster and it killed me in return one go so um uh, so yeah and then it flew around capturing all the objectives which it actually couldn't do um if we'd read the battle plan properly uh then i played duncan so duncan was the organizer again lovely guy um but very much there just to fill the gap uh so that game i actually won uh which was cool and then i played will at the end with Ideneth. So that was an excellent experience, really, I suppose, just because I've not played Ideneth yet. And they were just everything I thought they would be. They were fast. They were sneaky. Their models were stunning. That that 
the Viadon, the big turtle, is huge and it looks so spectacular on the table. Yeah, it's um, a lovely army. <laughs> yeah, re- really nice. Low model count, but massive damage output. And it was very cool to see. Um, and Will was a lovely guy as well. So it was nice. I, I, so I played two armies, sorry, three armies really that I have no experience with because although I've played Dan loads with Cities of Sigmar, the thing with Cities is every army can be so different and distinct. So Dan's army is nothing like Tim's army was. Um, so yeah, three, yeah, four games, three different. I'd never played Daughters of Cain and I'd never played Ideneth. So that was good. I enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I think I quite like the thousand points, four games in a day format because uh, <laughs> it wasn't maybe the case this time. If one game goes wrong, you've got like opportunities to, you've got more games coming and you, you've got enough of them. It's difficult to put aside a whole weekend now. Um, to, to do an event but it's nice to have a, a one day i think the next one's going to be one day three two thousand point games um and i'm less enthused about that because um because it's a long game you know the game can i don't know when a game's not really going your way it's kind of nice to know that it's only small and it's going to be over soon <laughs> yeah um, no, so other than that, I think that that's probably yeah. the tournament. Only to say, of course, that Ben the Base came third um, with his Beast Claw Raiders, which is excellent. Who came second? It was Seraphon, wasn't it? Yeah, Tommy with his Seraphon came second, and then yeah. obviously Ben the Base come third. Done yeah. a great job with his with his ogres. But I yeah. said that before we went in, didn't I? I said he was the one to watch because Ben is he doesn't play loads of Age of Sigma, but he's just he's just a really good player of games. He keeps his eye on the ball, doesn't he, with all what's going on. So the so the Beast Claw Raiders um were yeah. in the top top three. Two of them were in the top three. Yep. That's a good show him. Yeah, very good. Very good. So there were three three in the top four. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they've done really well, but it's, I think it's the they count as extra models for Captain Objectives, which I think was really big. It, when you're playing smaller games. I think if you've got a big monster, it has a really big impact. But then also, if it also counts as 10 models, that's another that's a bigger impact again. So it has mm. on, on there. And then on a 4x4, four four, if you're pushing that up through the middle and it's got a big move, it can kind of get where it needs to get to as well. Yeah. Um, because yeah. the objectives aren't spread out across across six foot. So it really played well for the, for the ogre guys. But they were, you know, to be fair to them as well, they were all great players. Awesome. Awesome. But yeah, so just really big thanks to Duncan for putting it on. Um, it was really great to go and roll some dice. Um, the atmosphere is really good, um, nice and casual. No one too kind of. There, there were obviously people there who were competitive, but no one you know so competitive they wouldn't have a chat with you and stuff. Um, really great, and the standard of painting of the armies was really good as well. Something I was really impressed with because we've been before um, to events big where you know the armies aren't aren't all painted and. What have you? But there's a lot of love gone into people's armies and into their own custom heroes. A lot of converting up and things like that, which is really cool to see. Yeah, that was really nice to see. And um, don't feel too bad, Dan, about your performance because I was speaking to Clint earlier in the week, and he also went to a <laughs> 1K event um, with Death, believe it or not, because Clint always takes Death wherever he goes with him. Um, and he was beaten by an eight-year-old child in that event. <laughs> 
Oh dear. <laughs> Poor. I think um, so there's, hope, there's hope for you, yeah. <laughs> whilst I appreciate the effort not to, you know, to make me feel better, I think it can't be ignored that I didn't actually play against an eight year old child in the event. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> things may have gone differently. <laughs> so, um, moving into the mortal realms, what's going on? What's on in the mortal realms? Um, giants we haven't seen them yet have we no we haven't we have um, seen all the lumineth now yeah so we've we've, we've seen all the lumineth um in their wacky dice I, yeah i won't be getting them well I no think, they're out of stock i I've, i'm a bit sort of reluctant to go out and buy dice nowadays because one they seem to be really expensive and and two I've just got them coming out my Yazoo, so I don't. I just don't need any more dice. <laughs> I'm really sorry. My, my doorbell has just gone off. It's half nine at night. Goodness knows what it is. Um, I'll be back in a minute. The FBI. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> it's the delivery of those dice. Wazza, you're in your pants. Put some trousers on. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's talk about Warcry. Warcry have um, has announced that they're going to have a brand new box set, which is excellent, and I really love it. <clears throat> so there's what, two Warcry things. Warcry generally, or just this new box? No, the, the new box set. So mm. the first thing I love about it is that it, we are going. We, we've got two um, warbands in it that I think are some of the best warbands that they've done. Um, so we have the um, Shadow Realm Elves um, with their with their cloaks made of shadows. Uh, they're just classic models. They they are dripping with old world aesthetics mixed with yeah. Age of Sigmar Awesome. I just think they're fantastic. One of my favourite models in um, Silver Tower was the the Shadow Elf. Um, so really cool the to see. The Tenebral Shard or the um, or the um, Mist with the Weaver Sign. Mist with the Sign. Yeah. yeah, with the, the sort of mirror face and we've we've now got a couple of models um in there um so they're going to be called the canite shadow stalkers and it's not really completely clear as to whether or not they're marathis a part of that kind of group or whether they belong to malarian Malarian, yeah um the other ones in there has one of probably my favorite chaos models in donkey's years so the science um Signs of the Flame, their leader, like the quasi samurai, yeah, willow, willow chaos warrior on fire, badass is just absolutely mint, yeah. Um, so really excited about that. In that, I would quite happily buy the both of those gangs separately just because they're both awesome, yeah. So to have them both in a box set is ace. The thing that I'm really excited about the new box set is that it's it's a double board. And a, by being a double board, it's also two ways of playing in one box set. So it's going to introduce some more kind of dungeon crawlery set of rules, I think is what they've talked about, adding a, a few little extra tweaks to make that a way of playing it. And on one side of the board is a, a board that looks very much like it's Warhammer Quest um, yeah, or dungeon board. keeper, <laughs> dungeon keeper board, and on the other side of the board, it was it's just a map. And when they released it, I thought, well, it's just a double sided board. But actually, they've put in above ground scenery as well. So some of the old Warcry scenery 
from the previous box set has been thrown in. So I think it's a really cool, well-rounded box set with multiple ways to play the game and the, the equipment to do it. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I think you get a little over 50% of the original box of above ground terrain, which is just superb. Um, so I think we can expect that one to be knocking on the door of 100 quid, to be honest. Um, Easy. Yeah. But the terrain. Is no, I'm back. Sorry about that. Um, now, everyone wants to know who was at your door. My neighbor ordered a takeaway and it tried to come to my house. Pardon? Takeaway man. Uh, my neighbor. Na- yeah, takeaway man, but it's for my neighbour, unfortunately, and I didn't see him. It's gone to oh. my neighbour. <laughs> and um, apologies to the listeners that this is only a podcast and not a video; otherwise, they could have seen me in my pants. Well, uh, you know, I don't think anyone's too too devastated about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the the next cool release is um, Diachasm, which is the next season of Underworlds, and um, there's some pretty cool sort of hints about. Uh, the warbands that are going to be in there. So the first, the box set is going to have the Lumineth Realm Lords, and they looked banking gorgeous in the in the video. And they're going to be up against um, Slanesh Mortals, um, which looked really cool as well. And they've also confirmed that there is going to be a um, Seraphon um, warband, which is really cool. Uh, oh yeah, the skink looks amazing in that. Have you seen the little like the little frog he's got on his hip that's carrying his? Yeah, yeah, his, oh, it's amazing. It was quite fun because I was actually not long after that I was listening to um, the Infinite Monkey Cage podcast where they were talking about dangerous animals and they were talking about the frog, which is the most poisonous animal in the world, um, the dart frog, poison dart frog. It's got a neurotoxin that kills you in under three minutes, and there's literally nothing that anyone can do about it. Um, and it's got enough it's enough toxin in one frog, in the sweat of one frog, to kill two full-sized elephants. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. So, right. Um, and finally, I'm sorry to rattle through, guys, but I really wanted to get on to the first Chaos model that has genuinely left me staring at it wanting to buy and paint it just because of the so many different textures and so many cool things you could do with it the uh the new slaneshi champion um in the box set um shadow and pain um mm. i think is absolutely the best slanesh model they have ever done um and i'm not a slanesh fan by any stretch of the imagination but that guy is it mixes the kind of weird pain cult hedonism with just like the most terrifyingly brutal looking dude he looks amazing (laughs) um the fact that he's got a mace as well i think is a really cool contrast with like the slanesh normal sort of aesthetic of slender sharp blades um they've got that in with all the sort of knives sticking off of his armor but that mace is just I just think he's fantastic. I, I think for me, he's up there in the same tier as the uh, as the um, uh, Dark Oath Warchief. Yeah, I really think. He yeah, is. Oh, he looks excellent, doesn't he? He really does. 
In fact, if I was to if I was to be asked to choose a Slanesh model in the past that I thought would represent like a, a the, the Slanesh aspect in a in a say a war band, um, I would have struggled. But now um, it's him all over. Mm. Um, so you got the slaughter priest for corn, dark oath war chief, or in fact war queen, um, and him. There's a number of Nurgle ones that I think would quite happily, I'd quite happily use. The only one I'm not really 100 percent on is Zinch. Can you think of a Zinch model that would go in that multi multi faith warband? The um, the Magister on a disc, that Magister on a disc that came in Aether War is pretty cool. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. So some really cool stuff coming out from the, the realms of Sigma. Mm, very good. Mortal realms. Really excited about all of those. Me too. Have you gotten yourself into Warcry yet, Bozza? Um, I'm about to get myself into Warcry. So on my last practice game before the event, when I was around Dan's house, um, he took me to one side. Even though there was only the two of us there, he kind of sort of ushered me over and he was like, and his voice kind of got a bit, <laughs> got a bit intimate, a bit quiet. I'm like, Dan, you really need to start playing Warcry. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, right, okay. And then it turned out from the preview um, in White Dwarf that they're going to do city rules this this ep- this episode of White Dwarf. So that's just that's just done then, isn't it? Nice and easy. It's kind of just landed perfectly, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to playing some games of that. I think Chris, you know, well, everything Chris plays, he makes look like look, look loads of fun, doesn't he? Because Chris just is a little sort of ball of fun and energy and positivity. And when I, I, I've seen him play Warcry, but I haven't played myself, and it just looks loads of fun. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. I'll be picking up White Dwarf and then making myself a warband. Brilliant. Right, so shall we move on to the community, chaps? I think that sounds like a good idea. Hail, glorious community. Thank you for joining us. Episode 57. In the As we established, probably quite late on in the... uh, hobby desk section uh, when we worked it out so as normal this is kind of our favorite section really where we get to look at some cool stuff um and talk about it uh, that yeah. you guys have been working on so ben you'll always start with your shout outs uh, you've sent me across some awesome looking stuff so do you want to tell me about the first one yep so the first one i'm going to talk about is a chap called paint squig um he is on um instagram um, as Paint Squig uh, 1980, and he has um, been doing recently a um, a graveyard for uh, Tabletop World. So they've recently um, produced or are releasing um, a graveyard set of scenery, um, and he's he's been painting it up for for use, I believe, in their um, you know in their they're advertising photographs. So absolutely love it. Um, and he's got loads of like work in progress shots going back for months about how he's done it. Um, and little bits of each of the individual pieces of scenery. And I think it's um, really fantastic. 
it's it's just got such a natural feel to it, hasn't it? Like, really yeah. has. It looks so realistic. Um, he's used so many like techniques from like the broader modelling um, that it just rather than wargaming modelling that it, it just looks fantastic. And actually, on a sort of a side note from that, his undead skeletons are my favourite skeletons that I have seen in an in a long time they are covered in moss and filth mm. and they look like they've just crawled out of a forest floor and i just love them absolutely love them and my brother has um got a whole ton of the original plastic skeletons that he gave me yeah um and I, it's my intention to strip them maybe purchase some um like uh, shields or something to go with them because not all of them have got shields um, and then do them like this, like absolutely filthed up coming out of the floor. Um, just a big inspiration. And um, yeah, so his, his, his page mostly at the moment is undead for obvious reasons. And um, this um, graveyard, sorry, mm. lost the plot in my head for a second. Uh, it's also worth pointing out that this guy is an exceptional foam sculptor um, of scenery, and it doesn't take you long scrolling back for his page to find some blistering foam work that he's done. Um, so I really encourage you to have a have a look at that um, and have a look at his his page. I'm pretty sure we've called him out before, but I don't care. I would call if I accidentally call people out multiple times for their awesome work. It it doesn't really um, bother me that much at all. The, the next one, Dan remembered the name of the model that this guy's been sculpted in um, straight away off his head, but there is a chap called um, Tupav Cost Madness. Tupav Cost Madness. Um, sorry if I've absolutely destroyed that name. Um, and he has been sculpting the... Go for it, Dan, because I've forgotten already. Inquisitor Karamazov. On his throne of judgment. Um, and it is absolutely golden. He's popped it on... Um, what looks to be a um, a titan's legs, uh, I've just Titanicus legs. Yeah, and it just looks fantastic. It really does. Um, he's got some other awesome stuff on there as well. So it's not just that that's it's caught my eye. Particularly like the um, uh, the colours he's used on some of his sort of necromundry stuff. Um, real proper grim dark, grim dark that's managed to maintain some really nice colours in it. Um I think that's a oh, I've just seen his uh great and clean one. It's <laughs> Bishop Pape Nurgle. God I could make you churn a little bit. Yeah, so some fantastic green stuff work on there. Um absolutely splendid. So that's my second one. Um and then lastly when it comes to to miniatures, because there's a few other things I wanted to shout out. It's a chap called Rob Walters, um, whose Instagram page is called Icon, spelt with E-Y-E, so E-Y-E-C-O-N 74. Obviously, we'll put all the links up for these in our, in our post releases. Now, this guy has been doing um, sort of marsh-covered, rotting necrons, and they're really awesome. <laughs> they're really cool. They look like they've just come out of the filthiest mm. marsh ever. Um, uh, I love I love corroded necrons, but I'm not a massive fan of rusty necrons because I think that their technology is just too advanced. Really, I think that as soon as they came out, they clean them off. 
but I love weathered Necrons. So the idea that they've brought the, you know, the, the crap with them out of the swamp as they've come, but actually when you look underneath, their armour is all pristine. I really like that. I think that's great. Um, and we're actually talking about doing a combined Necron army so that we can join our forces together when we wanted to. I'm quite keen on this, Dan. <laughs> Bit of hanging moss and stuff on them would look pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. This guy has also got some fantastic titans utilising some of the Sisters of Battle pulpit stuff um, on, on one of them. It, um, he's called the Warlord, the Huntress of the Vale. Uh, it's got a landing pad on its roof as well with a... Um, Arvus Lighter, so it's really <laughs> quite cool. That's cool. Um, and both, all the Titans you've done are like wading through water, so um, it's done a really good job of making it look like the sea is literally like receding from their footsteps, like a tidal wave, so it's cool. Love them. Yeah, so that's my three, uh, the, say, artists that um, have caught my attention over the last couple of months, particularly. Um, Shall I pass over to you to do the the hobby uh, hobby yeah, forum? Yeah, yeah. So i i get the um i get the pleasure of calling out uh you guys that are kind enough to get involved in the hobby forum, which we really appreciate. Um, apologies, we haven't been as active as as we have in the past on there of late, but uh, don't think that we don't see it. It's uh, it's great to see it. It's really inspiring. Um, and really, I want to kick off with uh some more awesome foam sculpting so thomas ross so that's tiger eye creations is sculpting a citadel have you seen this i have it's, it's massive isn't it it's, it's just... flipping awesome <laughs> it's... i absolutely love it which is why i'm shouting it out i suppose um it it's just titanic i i just yeah it is it's a great, table mate. In its yeah. own right, it's yeah, um, yeah. it's a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. In in you know in one one thing, it is vast. It absolutely. is glorious. What I'm hoping is he's actually doing that um, as part of a you know a, a special Christmas episode of Grand Designs, um, and that's gonna be created <laughs> uh, by someone. I think that would be eighth. But yeah, that that. Tom, that is that is fantastic, mate. So really good. And definitely, if you're listening, go check out on Facebook Tiger Eye Creations because there's some good stuff on there. Um, then, uh, Pele, need to shout you out again, man. Um, really, really good. Um, I can't, what's it called? It's got, it's got a mouse on its head. But the colours <laughs> and the way it's... You know, the execution is just superb. Little Master Mice from Blacksmith Miniatures. It's just lovely. It really is. really is nice. It's kind of like a a weird kind of Mad Hatter type vibe going on, isn't it? It, Yeah, it is. It's, um, I just love it. I love it. I love the the colours are in this. And look at the plant life at the bottom on the base, like the little ferns and stuff. That's just really nice yeah really good mate so thank you for sharing that that's just superb um and you know i do apologize because i I can't just shout everybody out because i'll just be going up there and there is some wonderful wonderful stuff um as always but i do need to shout out um mr cheese right so james is 
Indomitus box set. Wow. Just wonderful. Really, really nice. Um, it is. I'm particularly impressed. And I, I must have asked uh, James like a dozen times how he does his yellow. He does it different ways, but uh, he did a squad of Lamenters for um, for Golden Demon a while back when I entered my Iron Snake. And they were fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And they weren't even more fantastic in person than they were in the photographs. But these guys are mostly grey with yellow shoulder pads and helmets. And he's just nailed the yellow, I think, absolutely nailed it. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's so clean, um, but a lovely tone. Um, I just love them, absolutely love them. Really, really nice. Yeah, so... Really like all of that, guys. Um, re- really, really good. Uh, ben, did you want to talk about the competition? Yeah, so actually we, uh, we've been inspired this month. We pro- the um, the last couple of months, like we said, have been a bit savage with us personal life-wise. So the last competition was the was the five-minute speed paint. Um, and unfortunately, um, it, it wasn't as well-received as previous ones. But we had some great entries, um, three. Uh, so R- Russell Pierce did a um, what looks like uh, one of the ring wraiths, and um, Adam Blight did a fantastic uh, repainting of the uh, of the the Blood Angel Funko Pop uh, oh, into yeah. a, into a, in a into a Raven Raven Guard, um, which was excellent. Um, and uh, I say Raven Guard, I think it is. Yes, it is. For, for one second, I got that completely wrong. And and then finally, Mike Parker shared us a video of his. Absolutely brilliant. Um, knocked, knocked, knocking out his, his Space Marine in 15 minutes. So um, I think watching your video, Mike, it looks like you learned loads from doing that. And, and that was kind of the point of it, really. It was a bit of fun. But we've been inspired this month by a personal set challenge by one of our hobby um, forumers uh, who got uh, called Paul Gibbs, who got his kids to choose three colours and then added black and white. Um, and the little darlings chose um, uh, Calgar blue, Gene Steeler purple, and um, I can't see the is it Screamer pink? Screamer pink. <laughs> so like the worst possible palette <laughs> um, <laughs> for his blight lord, one of the worm spats. As, but dude, Paul has done a fantastic job with those colours. He's really, really given it some beans. So, but we thought that would be a fantastic idea for the next painting competition. So you get to choose three colours. If you get your kids to choose them, bonus points, um, or a random person on the street, or whoever, <laughs> whoever um, is there that isn't you, then extra points. Um, otherwise, it's three colours, black and white, and paint any model you want using those. And uh, we look forward to seeing those, and we'll put the put the post up over the next couple of days. Awesome. So, um, one of the things uh, I shouted out James just now, and uh, I was looking through his posts, and he says he uses a bone recipe uh, on some robes that comes from Cult of Paint, which is a lovely segue into what I wanted to talk about next, which was Cult of Paint. So. Um, we, uh, I know I'm not sure if we'd done this when we last recorded, but we signed up to Cult of Paint's Patreon. 
So Colter Paint is Andy Wardle and Henry Steele. And to be quite honest, the video production quality, uh, and I haven't watched loads of videos. You'll have watched more than I have, but it, it's the best quality produ production for painting videos that I've seen because it's so close into the model that you can see exactly what's going on with the brushwork, which I really, really like. Um, yeah. Makes a big difference because you can really see where they're placing the paint, um, either with the uh, airbrush or or a normal brush or a hairy brush, as Henry calls them. Um, <laughs> now, uh, I know we're fortunate enough, Henry, Henry usually listens. So um, what I would say is, when <laughs> do not watch them when you are even vaguely tired. Because, and it's got nothing to do with the content, the content's wonderful, but Henry's voice, it's just like that dude that just reads you a calm story as you want to drift off to sleep. <laughs> it, it's just wonderful. Um, but you will fall asleep. And it's not because, uh, as I say, it's nothing to do with the content. It's just, it's just great. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the videos. It's really nice as well because it recaps some stuff that I got a few years back now, quite a few years back now at, um, at the MKA painting course, because Henry was was one of the instructors on the course that I went to. So it stuff on there. There's there's like so there's a great thing about pin washing. I really like the way it breaks down. They've got videos that just break down different techniques. So they've got one about pin washing, and it talks about the effect of different varnishes on a pin wash. And so he he gets a base and he matte varnishes it and shows you how how the paint interacts and then he glosses it and it shows you how it interacts and it shows you how contrast paint acts or um oils act enamels act as pin washes it's really good yeah um so yeah really very worth checking out um i absolutely think it's worth worth the patreon um i think I can't remember how much it is to be honest, but I think it, it yeah, it's definitely worth it. We'll put a link to it. Um, but check those guys out. Um, they get some, they've got some miniature, uh, a, a range of uh, 54 mil scale, I think miniatures. Oh, they're lovely. Yeah. Really nice. Basically canvases for, for painting. Um, they do their own airbrush. And actually what I like is they do use a lot of the airbrush. Um, but they they basically use what is needed to create something awesome and flip back and forth and use the best tools for the job that's going on. Um, came out actually, Henry used in one of the videos I watched these little like metal dishes, and they are one of that is that has been brilliant. I bought a load of them. They are just fantastic for things like when you're doing a wash, but you're using a lot of it. So like when, when, because I'm doing, um, when I do batches and I'm putting wash on the bases and I want a lot of it, just pour, put a bit out into one of these dishes and it just means you, you're not dipping your brush into the pot and it all going up in the ferrule and making a mess yeah so that's good yeah. you probably only need three or three or four of them um i obviously bought 24 uh because that's just how i roll 
because <laughs> you needed 24 then yeah <laughs> i probably needed 24 because i i keep using them until i needed to wash them up yeah the more of them i have available the less washing up i need to do <laughs> yeah exactly yeah like tiles <laughs> um yeah i i if you if you wanted to sort of have a look at sort of the sort of video that they make, then they do do free ones that are available oh, yeah, on yeah. for you to have a look at, done in the same quality, same format. So there is a there is a place for you to go to sort of check them out before you know you put your money where your mouth is, kind of thing. But um, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying them, learning loads as well. Because um, at the moment, I'm feeling feeling the absence from other painters other than digitally. Um, because we haven't we haven't had a painting night around my house since March, maybe even a bit earlier than that. Um, so I'm I'm enjoying having the paint cult paint patron there to to sort of get my fix, get my fix. Um, last thing I wanted to talk about for community um, with regards to personalities is uh, Gareth Nicholas, um, who was previously a sculptor for Games Workshop, um, is got um is doing a 10 millimeter sculpting of of his own um called forest dragon 3d and he's currently releasing them on a, a patreon basis and i think they're, they're digital files for a 3d printer um but you can check them out on instagram as well to sort of have a look at what they look like and they are really really awesome um they're warhammer basically fantasy battle um, so Warmaster, uh, alternative figures, and they are fantastic. So, are they? Is it just the files? I think it's just the files, yeah, at the moment, yeah. Which is a, it's a good way for sculptors to release their stuff, really, when you think about mm. it. Um, I, I just imagine when you get more established, these things will be available that you can get them printed, and pro- a lot of sculptors will get them printed and and or cast and then sell them as physical things too. But I'm seeing a lot more, um, even companies like Modifius are releasing products as, um, as 3D files, 3D printed yeah. products. Yeah. Um, which is really, for, for Modifius, I mean, what they've done is release their big models, um, like the tank and the, uh, the vertibird as 3D files, because realistically actually you know one of the cool things about fallout is that you come across scenes from the apocalypse so if you wanted to do an area where like a, a wing of vertebrates crashed vertebrates being a sort of helicopter kind of thing um you know buying three of them would be an absolute buggerance really um, whereas if you bought the file and print three you can make you can make your piece of scenery and it would look awesome mm. um so yeah, it's got its own. It's definitely got its pros, but they're absolutely excellent. I'm a particular fan of the war dancers because um, they're really dynamic and, and absolutely fabulous. And of course, Gareth, being the astonishing painter that he is, has painted up a few, and they're on Instagram for people to have a look at um, on Forest Dragon 3D. So go and check them out. Ace. So yeah, an interesting roundup. Um from the community for this this sort of month um obviously as ever please go and check these people out because they do some awesome stuff we haven't got an events roundup particularly because events are still sort of tentative and and with the changes as well 
coming up. Yeah, literally tomorrow after we record in, um, UK has gone down into a no more than six person lockdown again. So God knows how that's going to affect tournaments, probably, or even clubs. It's going to be a nightmare. Mm. Okay, but I think having gone through the community, talked about some awesome looking stuff, it's time now to go into the wilds. Do you think, sir? Into the wild? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the sound's got so weird. Welcome to the wilds of episode 57, and we are going to talk about, as we normally do, all the things that uh, excite us or are excited us that isn't easily shoehorned into one of the other sections <laughs> or we remembered at the end having recorded everything else um so there's a few things that we'd like to cover off today um bit a bit of a mixed bag but um some really exciting stuff to be honest that's one thing i'd like to talk about is um the new action figure by green wolf yeah action figures um and is the cadian um officer and um, so Green Wolf do a number of science fiction. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's fantastic. They they do a, a number of, number of scientific uh, scientific science fiction models from computer games, various whatnots. Um, but they've also done really close work with some actual existing forces, such as the Royal Marine Commandos, um, and produced accurate equipment. Um, representation of um, of those guys, um, so that they've approached this from very much a, what would Acadian guardsmen look like in true scale um, uh, with the equipment that Games Workshop have described, and they've done a fantastic job of capturing that quasi futuristic but World War One textures that yeah, they just yeah. absolutely love. Um, so, you know, the guy's got a black eye, he's got his Laz pistol, but the fabrics look like, you know, something you'd find in an army surplus store in the like, late 80s, <laughs> like, you know, when they're getting rid of all the old old stuff. Um, I think it's fantastic. Um, it's, a, it's a tough one with these action figures because they're not toys and they're, they're priced high, like between 70 and a, 150 quid often mm. um so i'm you know i was surprised at the cost of the space marine one but then actually when you look around it was very reasonably priced for what it was so i'm expecting this one to be kicking around that kind of value but i think it is one of the most awesome uh products that a uh a company using games workshop ip has, has produced in a, in a while um it, the realism on it is really what catches me. Mm. And there seems to be loads of options. So you can dress it up like your action man. <laughs> it's really great. Um, while we're talking about that, there are two more space marines, aren't there? Yes, there are, yeah. Yeah, they are. A salamander uh, and a fist, is it? From um, Bandai. Bandai. Yeah. So this area of like the Warhammer hobby, as it were, seems to be um, taking off really, doesn't it? So 
I'm I'm really excited about Green Wolf and what they're going to produce in the future. Um, be really really cool to see what they they make of a space marine. Mm. <laughs> oh, that yeah. would be really cool with yeah. that kind of attention to realism. So um, that's them. And moving away from the, the Warhammer world, um, I was struck by this model by Chimera Models, which is spelt with a K, K-I-M-E-R-A, um, called Lacaris. And it is like a Chaos Warrior... Um, I don't know how else to describe it, but with like a skull mask, very much like the guy from Willow. Mm. Um, and it is absolutely blinding. And as soon as I saw it, I thought that would be a great model to paint and have on the shelf. Um, I've often thought about getting into sort of larger scale models and just painting them for shelf decoration. But then I remember that I've got like a backlog of a million models to paint without <laughs> adding to it. Um, yeah. But it's fantastic, really. And then um, I shared it immediately with you. What I think I like about it is is the textures, the different textures on it. So you've got the furs right next to the armor, next to the lamella, loads of different belts. It'll really, I think, I think it'll be really challenging to paint that and, and get the light, the lighting right. Um, mm. But yeah, I really like that. Of course, we'll share links to all these um, in the in the show notes. Of course, next one on our little run through. Is um is a company called Claymore Castings, Dan? Yeah, their stuff's lovely. Which produce very very nice, um, sort of War of the Roses kind of. I would have thought that kind of period, um, mm. maybe Henry the Henry the Fifth kind of era. Men at arms, crossbowmen, um. Spearmen, I love them. I really do. They're obviously made historic to be historically accurate, um, as best as a miniatures company can do. But the moment I saw them, I was like, they, those guys, the humans with the big shields, would make like a fantastic human alternative to um, Eternal Guard, for example. You know, with that, if you don't move, you get three plus save. That like just bulky plate with the. With the shield, oh, it's just so good. It and there's some great. really, really dynamic men at arms there that I I think would look fantastic in skirmish games like Mordheim and and that kind of thing. So yeah, I really encourage people to go and have a look. Um, they haven't got all the models painted up um, for people to see. However, if you type in hashtag Claymore Castings onto Instagram, there are plenty of people painting them up. And they are glorious. Um, they're really, really well-produced models. The yeah, detail really on nice. the casting is is exceptional. Um, so I, I'm very tempted by them because they're £7 for four, which isn't bad for a metal model either. Really. No. 28mm model. Um, I'm really tempted by them for like a non-tournament Age of Sigma. Yeah. Army, um, really, really tempted by them because uh, they they've got that almost Bretonian aesthetic, haven't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think um, for blocks of that's what I want. It's kind of 
exactly how I want my human infantry to look like in Age of Sigma. And I think that we just need to have some more, because I, it's, I think it's well established on this podcast that I'm not a fan of the Empire State Street models. Um, or we need, like, I think, some different human human troops. And yeah. something like that would really, really fits the bill for me. Um, do you want to talk about your icicles, Dan? Because they were they were quite cool. We missed yeah. out on the hobby section. Yeah, um, that's because I haven't like pushed myself and got it done across all of them yet. But essentially, uh, because I did snow as a theme for my war cry, I was considering adding icicles. And I asked the question about our oh, how you know where do people get icicles? And Ben, Ben the base, who puts a good amount of effort into his hobby came back and was like oh yeah you can make them you just heat up flying stand and stretch it to make icicles and i was like do you even know me is that (laughs) gonna happen so i was straight on google looking up model plastic icicles now green stuff world do some resin Mm. ones um which i think would some of them would be a bit bigger um excuse me and uh they're they're more rounded but then i came across some on model model scenery world or something like that um by bush who make like all the christmas you know like the christmas villages and stuff that you see that you can get you often see them in um garden centers yeah yeah and they did a pack for two forty-five yeah. of these little icicles that were between sort of three mil and ten mil long, and you get loads of it. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. You got like um, I think there's this. It must be a t- an eight or ten centimeter strip, and you get six of those strips of all these icicles. I've got flipping. I got loads of them as. Again, another thing that I always tend to do is end up with loads of these things. I don't know where have I put them. I don't know where I've even put them. I got this that many bloody things. I don't know where I do keep them all now. <laughs> but anyway, it's here somewhere. Um, yeah, really good. Uh, so I would definitely, if you're thinking about doing some kind of snow stuff, get those. I mean, I'm going to do some imperial bastions i've got some of the old imperial bastions uh and i wanted to do those up for my snowboard because although i want to do like a brownie rocky 40k board for like all my industrial stuff i do want a snow table because i'm my corner all on snow yeah, uh, yeah so i was going to do some yeah. i was going to do some of these bastions but you so say old bastion they haven't stopped selling that have they uh I don't know, actually. No, I don't. I don't think they have actually. Good. Because <laughs> that would have been another one that was lost without me noticing. Yeah, I, I can't actually remember. So yeah, I really like those. Really like those. Excellent. So the next thing on our little list was a little sneaky thing that came out a couple of days ago. Um, which hints at a re-release of Hero Quest, which is quite exciting, Dan. Bum, bum, bum. So we don't know any details about this. Um, 
other than it's done by Hasbro. And they um, have done it alongside, let me just bring the link back up again. They've done it alongside uh, Avalon Hill, uh, which make board games. So between the two of them, they're releasing it. Now, the countdown as of today, which is uh, Sunday, the 13th of September, is eight days and 18 hours before we, we see the, the official whatever. Um, obviously, like there's, very, there's many ways in which they could do this. They could announce a Kickstarter. They could announce the finished product. They could announce the product in, in production. Um, I'm a big fan of Hero Quest. Um, loved it as, as a board game. One of the first games I picked up. Really buzzing about it. Yeah, I mean... My only... Go on, what were you going to say? I was going to say, my only reservation is that I don't know whether uh, Avalon Hill or Hasbro have got much of a pedigree in 28mm scale models. Um, But maybe they're going to go for a we don't care so much about the models, we care more about the game kind of approach, which might be a bit of a shame. But um, we'll see. I'm going to wait and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Interesting that Games Workshop doesn't even have its name on it, though. Well, was it? Was it even? Was it a Games Workshop thing, or was it just that Citadel made the miniatures? No, it was absolutely Games Workshop, and and MB released it together. Okay. So maybe Games Workshop ditched the rights to it, or lost the rights to it. Yeah, maybe. Hard to say, but I would have thought. Um, I thought it would have popped up somewhere in the trademarking. Yeah. Oh, well. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, and then finally, last but not least, um, which has absolutely nothing to do with miniatures wargaming, I just a- I had to just have a moment gushing about the new June trailer. <laughs> <laughs> because June is such a massive part of the, of the, of the, of the background that 40k comes from without a doubt you know there's so many things in june which i think or feel clearly in influence the early 40k thinking um and i loved the book i first thing i watched or did was watch the original film loved that then went and read the book um and that was must be 20 years ago now so I've just pulled it back off of my shelf to read a second time um, because the video That's a good idea. is uh, it just looks absolutely fantastic. I love the the feel of the whole thing, the look of it, the, the armor, the the ships, the way the, the everything. I just love it. <laughs> I'm so excited about it um, that I, I I will cry if the cinemas aren't open for its release. Like, literally <laughs> devastated by that because it looks like a film that absolutely needs to be seen in the cinema. Um, so there we go. If you haven't and you're interested in films at all, go and see the trailer for June. Go, it's on YouTube, go and look because it's, um, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be the film of the year. It's my prediction. Yeah, it looks amazing, mate. I can't wait. I really can't wait. I think maybe, yeah. Maybe I'll um, read through again. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the Imperial. 
I've forgotten the name of them, but the, the, like, the Imperial Guard that gets sent with um, to, to to attack Arrakis, um, like it must have influenced Games Workshop when they were thinking about the Space Marines. Oh yeah, um, and the the suit the suit of them. The the shot of them coming down, like floating down from from their drop, whatever, um, in, in the in the trailer is is absolutely amazing. Yeah. I just googled, googled them. They're called the Sardukar. Oh yes, yeah. The uh, elite military force of the Padishah Emperor. So awesome, so awesome. Anyway, they even use words like the Imperium. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, and the. Yeah. The whole traveling through the warp with the navigators and yeah, yeah, even the down to like the houses on Arrakis and just screaming Necromunda. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I love that Can't actually. We? I mean, I you know, uh, often people say there's no no truly or original ideas, which is a bit. I don't think that's particularly true, but. Um, it is wonderful to go and watch some of the stuff that inspired 40k yeah. uh, and and then look at where 40k has taken that and yeah. how much more they've added on to that it's things i just yeah i just love it um and i love all i love it when it's like it's like event horizon i love event horizon because it's that was an accidental 40k film, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Did you know they're doing a series? Are they? Yeah, they are. I think it's on Amazon. So um, that, yeah, you know, that that's great for that reason, you know. And you watch Alien. Oh, it's just Aliens is, in my opinion, one of the best films that's ever been made. I just absolutely adore it. I think I must have watched Aliens as many times as I've watched Die Hard, which is a considerable number of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we used to me and my mate used to go and rent it practically weekly from the uh, the video shop back when video shops were a thing. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Stop um, it now. Getting yeah. old now. Uh, th- did you ever get a chance to read? Um, Future Peace, Future War. No. The power armour in that is really, really cool um, because it deals with more the sort of bizarre and horrendous environments that troopers would be in, in like intergalactic warfare. And um, of course, in, in 40K, we, we assume that every planet that everybody's on ha- has a kind of breathable atmosphere. Mm. Um because it's an imperial world, mostly. Um, of course, that's not always the truth. The, the you know the truth. There's sometimes you know there's plenty of battles you can read in all the codexes about you know, space marines fighting on the surface of a of a of a moon, or um, there's one where they fought most of the battle underwater, mm. the ocean. I can remember them like being deploying and in the deepest areas in land raiders and terminator armor and then in the shallow areas with normal marines in play but there's a there's a scene in one of these books in, in future peace future war early on where they're, fly, they're fighting or training on a moon where it's so cold um that hydrogen is liquid um and 
of course, if their power arm, what they're being taught to use above everything is how to use the power armor, because if it gets breached in any way, they are done for. Um, and one of the recruits manages to breach their their power armor because of like the environment is so cold that it's, li- it's literally like knives everywhere. So you know the rock is sharp and there's an ice everywhere, and it cuts through one of their um, like connective bits and she freezes instantaneously um because her power arm is breached um so it's it, it, for for me it was a really good book imagining what it would be like operating in a suit of power armor as a as a human mm. um, i just think it's cool i just I, I think you're absolutely right like reading these things that where these ideas have come from and then of course where games workshop was taking them is really cool and june is a perfect example of that so we filled most of our end section with movie reviews and book reviews. Yeah, well, that's all right. Um, okay, so that is going to wrap up episode 57. Um, as always, we are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. We are on YouTube at the Two Piece Podcast. We have a website, twopeaceinapod.com. We even have an email address. We have an email address, the Two Piece podcast at hotmail gmail no, gmail um so yeah there's lots of ways to get in contact with us and we might even write back <laughs> no we will write back of course we'll write of course ben will write back. i mean we will write back. <laughs> um that's if i get informed about it because like i now don't get any Oh, no, I know. It's just rubbish. Any notifications of anything on my phone at the moment, it's really driving me quite mad. But, yeah. So, um, hopefully, we're going to come back again in another month's time. Um, I'm going to try and get in the swing of it. It Well, ultimately, we always said the podcast was about trying to do wargaming and balance it with a family, young family, and, and life, I suppose. So, I guess it's no surprise that there are some breaks sometimes. Um, thank you all very much for listening. Yeah, thank you guys. It's been awesome. Nice to be back. Bye. Bye.